Friday, August the 27th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Going to talk some racing uh, on this one. Friday racing from Saratoga. Friday racing from Del Mar. Some Charlestown. They have the Charlestown Classic on Friday night. And there's also a guaranteed payout in a, a pick six. We'll go through that sequence. Some Saturday racing from Saratoga and Del Mar. And then we'll close things out with... SummerSlam 95, the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. We go back and watch uh, Survivor Series from 1995 and talk about uh, a really fun show. Probably one that you wouldn't think of as just an all-time good show, but it, but it's excellent. So, just a lot, lot of uh, bad going on in the world right now. So, I'm going to... Just got an anxious feeling with with everything, and uh, hoping hoping everything, in, in you know, just gets better, right? That's, I think that's what we all want in in some different way, shape, or form. So, I'm gonna get to the interview that we had recorded at the end. I'm gonna kind of go through the races a little bit quicker. I'll still give you all the plays and everything, and um, we will talk a lot next week more about. The NBA playoffs moving forward What's been going on in baseball, who's hot, who's not We're going to start breaking down um, Some fantasy football stuff and The NFL, uh, recording this late Thursday night The NFL is only two weeks away from starting So We'll be talking a lot of NFL now Coming up over the next few weeks And Kentucky Derby Next week, so Just a very, very busy time coming up In the world of sports Let's get into The racing for Friday just to keep in mind our friends over at Stable Duel On Friday they have three different racetracks And three different options if you want to play in contests You can play over at Ellis Park In a $5 regular contest format You could play at Del Mar In a $25 top 10 format Where only the top 10 get paid out Or you could play at Charlestown In a top 10 format for Friday So three different tracks Del Mar, Ellis Park Charlestown with their big night on Friday Download that Stable Duel app Build your lineup If you have any questions Just shoot me a message I can help you through the process you, You'll you'll get the hang of it once you do it once or twice It's a salary cap of $50,000 Once you pick uh, a horse Whatever their price is It'll knock off that salary cap And you'll have to manipulate, maneuver around And figure out uh, who best fits Which races are you going to take a shot on some prices Which races are you going to pay up for the favorites that you think are more likely to win So let's get into Saratoga For Friday We'll go Saratoga We'll go Del Mar And and then we'll go Charlestown And then we'll go to uh, Saturday Racing So if you're playing along Looking along, get your past performances out For the 28th For Friday And uh, we'll go with a, a play in the 2nd A play in the 5th And then we'll talk late pick 4 This that's that's the way that I like to do things with when I look at the races is that it's generally it's it's different based on where I like things, you know, who you like. I don't think you ever want to feel forced to play a certain sequence. The ones that I generally are always looking to play are that low takeouts, which are usually the early pick fives. This case at Saratoga for Friday didn't really love as much early, but if you plan on playing that early pick five sequence, let's talk about a couple horses I think you want to include. In race number two, the five Hurricane Breeze In her last start On July the 31st, she was fourth She was actually favored Not a heavy favored, but against a couple of these And she wasn't beaten that much 
She was in tight on the inside. She quickly had to back out of it. She settled inside, you know, eighth or so, about seven lengths off. She was buried inside. She got some room in between horses. She she closed really well. It was just a little bit too late. I think with a better trip, if she's able, and we know she can sit closer. You can see she has more tactical speed. So if she's able to just sit a little bit closer, that would have been the difference between winning and finishing fourth. So let's give Hurricane Breeze a, a, a shot here. Make sure to throw her in. Um, any of your early exotics that you're playing and, and then get to race number five Let's look at the nine The promised road here This is a filly for George Weaver Who's a two-year-old first-time starter She's been working on the grass a few different times She has two winning turf sibs And the barn is really, really good with first-time starters They're 16% And when you go over the last five years They have a $2.80 ROI They are nine for the last 22 With first-timers Throw the nine, the promised road into all of your exotics in race number five. Move to the seventh at Saratoga. We'll start the late pick four there. And the horses we'll include in here are the one, four, six, and seven with Honey Won't. Uh, Ghoul, who's coming off a good third place effort. Honey Won't would actually be my top selection. I may, may be worthy of making a win wager on, uh, on Honey Won't. Ghoul, make sure to use on all of your tickets. And... I think Battle Station's a little bit sneaky in here uh, Look back at Battle Station's last few races on the grass All really, really solid Prior to that, hooked uh, some good horses when running on the dirt Over at Oaklawn Park Give Battle Station uh, a look And then one of the measuring sticks in this race A horse who, who should run really well against this company at this level Proven with these types Is back to his roots 4617 is how I have this race pegged with Honey Won't on top Those are the four I'll be using to kick off the pick four One, four, six, and seven We'll use two and seven in race number eight With Irish Front looking like the one to catch and beat in here I do think Famished, who had a slow start from the rail Was back to last on the inside and was able to close in between Look at who he's faced You got Decorated Invader, Tap It to Win, Who Freaked That Day Vitology, Field Pass, Independence Hall, Structor And we're talking horses who are all... Really sharp and coming out of those races To come back and run well again So give Famished a look in here He has an opportunity to come running late If if they do hook up early So let's say, you know, Nighttime And while Medaglio Dioro And, you know, maybe uh, Blind Willie McTell If they all put a little pressure on Irish Front Then the race could set up nicely for Famished So we'll use those two, the two and the seven in there in race number nine, the ten is the horse who will actually make the uh, the top selection here. Sugar Fix. Now, Sugar Fix, Fix looks a little bit cheap on paper because she's coming out of a forty claimer. But if you look a couple starts back, she beat a horse named Queen's Embrace when she was running on May the twenty seventh. Queen's Embrace came out of that race to win, and then was third in the Grade Two Lake Placid. So that's a race that's very comparable to to this field. So Sugar Fix just from a a common rivals or a class standpoint, looking at at where she would fit, I don't think she's she's overmatched in here. She's got speed, but I, I imagine her to probably be sitting second behind Sweet Melania. Maybe she goes from the outside. There isn't that much speed in here. So I think those two are going to be pretty close In what looks like a, a paceless type race I'll also use the, the three 
10-1-3, coming off that win on July the 26th at Toga, and a couple starts back, just got, got hooked wide, and had really no shot in that regret. So 10-1-3 in race number 9, and then to close things out in the 10th race, it'll be 1-8-6-10, that's how I've, I've pegged them in order, we'll be using Little Red Button, very consistent at this level, sits the nice trip from the inside, Beyond Brown, who has some speed and should be up front, um... Kane, you do the twist, is the one to beat off the runner-up effort in the debut, and then tuck in sort of a, a long shot who I think has a little bit of an opportunity to show some improvement in here and uh, going long. So give uh, the outside horse a little bit of a look, and if you're going to throw it, at least maybe in, underneath with some exotics. One eight six ten here, so the pick four for Friday looks something like this starting in the 7th. One four six seven with 2-7, with one three ten with one six eight. 10 out of Saratoga for Friday. Those of you who like to play fantasy sports, give a look to Thrive Fantasy. You can download the Thrive Fantasy app. It is daily fantasy with a twist. It's all about a prop betting twist. So you're going to be selecting your lineup based on overs or unders of the given prop. If you're somebody who likes to wager on a lot of props, if you like to play in all sorts of different fantasy contests, this is Really cool site to, to check out Because you can play in contests for a dollar Two dollars, five dollars, twenty five dollars Generally the big ones they have are about Twenty, twenty five bucks, they have thousands Of uh, dollars worth of prizes there And if you use the promo code G-I-N-O Deposit twenty dollars You get an instant twenty dollar bonus So if you're always wanting to check a site out And you get one of those bonuses That's always a, a nice way to do so Promo code G-I-N-O Turn your twenty when you deposit it Into forty immediately you're already doubled up. You're already a winner. Promo code GINO over at Thrive Fantasy. Let's talk some Del Mar for Friday. Before we get into some Charlestown for Friday. So, early pick five, Del Mar. In race number one, we're going to go five furlongs, maiden specials, two year old fillies on the turf. Judy with Grace has a little bit of ex- has the experience, which could go a long way in here. Mamba with Queen, Mamba Queen is going to be very quick. That's the big time speed, and then Maxim Strider and Kate Boss both have dams who won on the grass, and they have a nice little turf pedigree for Barnes, who are very very good first time out of the box. Five six four or five six seven four in race number one to kick off the pick five at Del Mar. In race number two, if you want to single the two Amico, I would be fine with that. She takes the blinkers off. She's come out of some races where she's hooked her stable mates, and she hooked a good one last time out, and she ran really well. She has a nice pedigree here. She is a half to Bodie Meister, you know, Bodie Meister, grade one winner. And she actually has the right to improve because she's going to be going longer for the first time. She's gradually stretched out from five and a half to six and a half now to seven and now a mile. And what's also nice about her is it's not like she's been the beaten favorite. So we know that even though she's been second a couple times, she's been facing tough company and in races against good horses because she's not been burning money. So she's a very logical favorite If you want to single someone in the early pick 5 That might be her But I'm going to throw in one other And that's Overwhelming Love Who I sort of treat as a wild card For Jonathan Wong Who's you know Northern California trainer And when he sends them down to Southern California They're generally really ready to rock Going into the first turn A horse bothered and forced this girl Way out into center of the racetrack We're, we're talking 6-7 lengths deep Going into the turn and just took 
overwhelming love completely out of the race. She was 10, 12 plus lengths off of it. She just never had a shot. She actually ran really well to finish third. And I think she's got some ability. And once you take the horse who's going to be the heavy favorite out of this field, overwhelming love to me would have just as good a chance as anyone else. So I'll use the two of them in here, two six. In race number three, we're going to use two here. It'll be the seven and the five. couple logical horses in here. Uh, he's like violence is going to get back to the route. Got the nice prep race out of the way after coming off a very long layoff. And you got Go Time, who was a good third against better. Now stretches out, drops in class, and third off the bench should be set for his absolute best. So it'll be seven and five for me in race number three. In race number four... This is a race where I, I, I'm i going to spread out a little bit And the reason why I'm going to is because I'm not going to use a couple horses who I think Are going to get played And that's why I'll spread out Big Hoof Dynamite and Zorich might Be sh- the shortest two prices in here And we'll use all the others And hope that this is a race where we can spread out And catch a price Knife's Edge is a multiple winner Facing a, a bunch of Single winners in here You have Self-Taught who's also a, a multiple winner Def Monger is going to get the nice trip Coming from off the pace Self-Taught's been a, a runner-up in the last few Makes a ton of sense in here And then Vodka Twist from the outside Flashing some speed But uh, the the problem with, with you know Vodka Twist though is that you'll probably get Zorich and Alvaro Also flashing some speed So we'll use Alvaro as well 5, 6, 7, 2, 4 if you're playing a race where you're spreading out or you're going all, it, it's fine to go all but the short, the favorite or the short prices because the point of spreading out is to try to catch price. So unless the rest of your ticket has major prices in every race or you're single to a 10 or 15 to 1 shot that you love and you just want to make sure you get there, if you're playing a race and you're going deep in that race, it's fine to just chuck out the, the short price horses. That's... Already what you're trying to do is Create value in that race You, you just want to, you don't even want to put yourself in a position Where you're locked into that horse Give yourself another um, another horse to fire in, in, in a later race If you're playing on a budget In the fifth race A couple logicals The nine juror is another one who I thought about singling But I will use a few others Blink's coming on He was just about to launch his bid And he got squeezed out of his spot badly And just couldn't re-rally And that was his his first start in a few months First start for a new barn Now he's going to drop He's going to go second start off the the bench Blinks on Pratt jumps aboard It looks like they're trying to get a win here That's the 9 Jur We use 9 7 6 KP Day And Vegas Moon Vegas Moon dropping down in class Coming out of that same race actually uh, With Jur And KP Day who needs to show just a little bit of improvement Second time out to be right there with this group Nine, seven, six are the three for me in race five So I'll play a pick five Something like four, five, six, seven With two, six With five, seven With two, four, five, six, seven With six, seven, nine That's the early pick five Friday at Del Mar And I don't really love a, a whole ton late If you are Because it, to me it feels sort of logical um, If you are playing any sort of late exotics I, I do think in the 8th race The Tranquility Lake The Proud Emma and Message The 4 and the 5 are two to include Message might be the one to catch in there And Proud Emma should be sitting a good trip Got a nice prep race out of the way And she will be fitter and sharper Second off the bench And then in the last race I thought the favorite 
the morning line favorite was going to be really tough with uh, Rispoli jumping aboard Constantia. So those would be two horses I would close out the sequence with, but had really no opinion in races six and seven. So good luck at Del Mar on Friday. Don't forget you can play a stable duel contest at Del Mar. One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G said, Sarah Candle Company over at sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com is giving a little deal to the listeners of That's What G said. If you go to sarahcandles.com right now and you purchase anything at all, you get 10% off of your purchase if you use the promo code G-I-N-O. Now, the difference between Sarah Candles and any of your other regular candles out there all natural soy wax. They wanted to create a candle 100% natural, clean burning, and the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. So there's none of those toxins that is found in paraffin wax, which is used by a lot of the other leading candle brands. And the soy wax will actually hold your scent better and burn up to 50% longer than those traditional paraffin wax candles. Lead-free, cotton wicks, natural scents. They have 25 different scents. They're always adding in different seasonal scents as well. And... They have instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean, how to get the best burn. None of those toxins, carcinogens, or pollutants that are present in paraffin wax. These candles are best ingredients, quality packaging, affordable prices, longer burning, a small business. People who loved candles, they started out experimenting, trying to create the perfect candle, and now they've blossomed into Sarah Candle Company. Through their research, they were able to discover the benefits of the all-natural soy wax. This is a perfect gift for someone. Any of your family members or friends that you know like burning a candle, sometimes uh, you just want to change the mood, change the scent in the air, check out sarahcandles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your purchase. I'm a big fan of the Fresh Roses, and uh, they even have a Del Mar scent there. To make you feel like it used to feel going down to the old uh, Del Mar where the turf meets the surf. Big night over at Charlestown on Friday night, and they've done a, a good job of including a mandatory pick six payout in the big night where a lot of people are going to be paying attention because they have a couple stakes races, including the Charlestown Classic. So, starting in race number seven, there is a pick six mandatory payout that we're going to take a, a shot at and uh, we'll go through the sequence uh, now turn to race number 7 Charlestown Friday night be using the some of the logicals in here the two please flatter me who obviously comes in from Saratoga and from Churchill was facing and prior to that has faced really tough company throughout the five figure it out I expect to be a, a little bit closer and, and show more speed in here the six lady T and T back to Charlestown where she has done well and you get JD jumping aboard and the seven a bit of both very logical favorite coming in from Delaware who was a runner-up last time behind the the very well-known Shalone two five six seven to kick things off in race number seven in race number eight gonna go uh, one Lebda Coming out of the Haskell in the Ohio Derby, the three Paradise Pride, who is one back to back super impressively and should be sitting really, really close in here and fit on the turn back. The four Jack the Umpire also going to be on the tickets and the six horse Little Menace, who comes out of that Ellis Park Derby, was behind 
art collector last time out and just might have tried a, a little bit too tough. Hooked long weekend in a couple races prior to that. So when you look at who he's been defeated by, he's really only lost in spots where he was facing some really, really tough company. So we will use one, three, four, and six as we turn to race number nine. And we'll just be going too deep in here with the five and the nine. This is a race where Lewisville, I'm sure, is going to take some money, the two. But I think Over Deliver is in excellent form right now. And this is a barn who could win a, a couple races on the card. Uh, so Over Deliver, live barn coming with some live runners here, should be close throughout. And, I mean, look at the versatility this one has shown. If they go quick, he can come from off the pace, he can launch, he can sit wherever he needs to be. The nine is a horse who we've seen in much tougher spots against a lot better. He just hasn't been able to put it all together and win for a while. So perhaps this is going to be this is a good spot for him to maybe get that confidence back. So let's go with uh, five and nine in the third leg of the sequence. We move to race number ten, second half of the pick six. And we're going 1, 2, 6, and 10. This is the Oaks. So, Turtle Tracks is going to get a little bit of pace in here to run at. And she she just comes out of races where she's been... I mean, look who she's... Four Graces, Frank's Rocket. She's She dares the devil, Lucrezia. There's no real shame in, in any of her losses finite prior to that. She just is the type of filly who needs the right trip, needs the pace. And she hasn't really received the setups in, in recent races. So... She's on the ticket, Bernie's on the ticket The Deuce, who's going to be Right in the mix throughout We're going to play against Tonalist Shape in here She takes the blinkers off, but she's coming out of that Really disappointing effort in the CCA Oak So let's just take a swing against her In here We will include the 6 On the tickets, Wicked Whisper, who's another one That's very, very fast And this might be a good spot for her to just go as quick as they can As speed generally plays really, really well here and the number 10 will also be on the tickets. That is Hopeful Growth, who has an opportunity, cutting back a little bit, to sit off the pace, will be a little more fit. A horse who is on the improve and coming off of a big win in the Monmouth Oaks. 1, 2, 6, and 10. And we move to the big one, the Charlestown Classic in race number 11. We'll use three horses in here. The 6, 7, 10 the, I'm going to take a swing against Math Wizard Who would be no shock Mr. Money will hope he can get back to Some of his better races uh, I, I think there's still a little bit something left in there He's not shown a whole ton This year to be honest But but at a nice price of around 5 to 1 This will be a good opportunity To see what he's got Because he should be right there with a group like this This isn't a group that's better than him The Seven's going to be my top selection, Sleepy Eyes Todd. I, I really like him. He's just fast, and he gives you a good run for your money. He can sit a little if he has to, but I'm, I'm hoping he just guns it and takes him as far as he can go. The seven, going to be on all my tickets, along with the ten, Multiplier, who's sort of a grinder, and I could see him just picking him up late if... When nobody else wants to keep going So let's go multiplier on the tickets Also 6, 7, 10 Here in race number 11 And then to close things out We'll be too deep in uh, in the finale I think a lot of people will probably End up singling the two And and I'm, I'm probably okay with that 
there the what concerns me now the seven Susie seashells is out. She ran um, at Laurel Park on on Thursday. There's there is a good amount of speed in here, and so if Star of Night gets hooked up going seven furlongs, she hasn't raced in a couple months. I I, I want I want somebody else who I feel like is going to be coming from off the pace. And I, I genuinely don't know who that's going to be with this group. And I'm, I think the five ends up sitting a trip, maybe right behind a couple of the speeds, third or fourth. So I'll use the five along with the two, two five to close out the pick six at Charlestown on Friday. It'll be two five six seven with one three four six with five nine with one two six ten with six seven ten with two five. Good luck on Friday night. Over at Charlestown Don't forget about Our friends over at OldSmokeClothing.com You have t-shirts with horse names Polos, hoodies, long sleeves Zip ups, hats They've got names for uh, the big races Track names, slogans You can custom design on there You can show the horse racing fan In you When you use that promo code G-I-N-O You get a free shipping No shipping cost No shipping cost with the promo code G-I-N-O You a fan of Tis the Law? They've got plenty of different options Make sure you get one of those shirts Or one of those Tis the Law trucker hats You can rock the Tis the Law gear When he ends up winning the Derby Do you think he wins the Derby? Who knows? It's going to be coming up soon Have your Tis the Law gear OldSmokeClothing.com Promo code G-I-N-O Gets you free shipping We're on to Saturday now And we get you over to Saratoga for Saturday Just a couple plays at Saratoga Honestly, I did not love Either Saturday card I like the Friday cards a little bit better At both Saratoga and at Del Mar So at Saratoga Let's go to race number 3 Really, I'm just going to talk about the the stakes races That's where I had the, the stronger opinions The Third race, however you're playing Two horses I want to mention And let's start with the number 7, Irish Mias I want to call I want to say she Every time with Irish Mias But uh, he He's coming off a third place effort He was behind Vanzi, he was behind Bye Bye Melvin He was actually your beaten favorite in the Jersey Derby The race just didn't set up for him He needs a little bit more pace to run at Which he should get in this spot And so I'm going to be using him And I'm going to be using Bodie Cream Who I'm going to be expecting to launch off the pace in here it looks like with Vanzi from the inside, Vanzi will be showing a little speed in there. Bye bye Melvin's not exactly slow, going to be forwardly placed. I think three technique will be really close as well. Um, I think the the four has actually got a little bit of speed, but we're not gonna, we're not going to see him right up on the lead in here. Don Juan Kitten won't be too far out of it. Big Dreaming won't be too far out of it. So you know you go through the field, and Bolden won't be too far out of it. It looks like a lot of pressers who want to be very close to the lead in here. Let's go with the seven Irish Mias, the ten Bodie Cream as two to include in all of your exotics. Now let's fast forward, flip to race number seven. This is the Grade Two Amsterdam here. I, I like. I, I'm not really against Basin. I just don't like the the post. I really wish he was drawn towards the outside Because it, it feels like he should get 
a good trip in here. Yao Pond right next door is going to be closed right on the lead really quick. You know, long weekend really, really quick. Premier Star is not exactly slow. Wonder where Craig is is not exactly slow. And so that really leaves Liam's pride is and Basin as the horses who are probably going to be coming from off the pace. I actually think Premier Star is going to sit the perfect trip in here and drawn to the outside of Long Weekend and Yao Pond. If those two are worried about each other, they're focusing on which one of them is going to try to get clear and they're not going to let the other one get loose, I think Premier Star sits right behind them. And with Irad jumping aboard, he's going to be able to give this guy a perfect trip sitting right behind the speeds. So if anything around 7-2, to two, we'll make a win wager on Premier Star in, in race number 7 on Saturday at Saratoga. And then a late exotic single... And a horse who I would play to win if there was anything over five to two or so is complexity. He's always been a really, really talented horse. He just he's been one of those horses who has some issues and and can't really keep running five, six races in a row at major levels. But now he's four. He came off a really nice effort where he was just sitting wide all the way around and he was handled like he was the best horse in that race. He feels like he's grown up a little bit. And I, I figure he's sitting in a great, great spot just off the leaders. Complexity will be a late exotic single and, and a horse to, to wager on if you can get anything over five to two or so. So the three races at Saratoga on Saturday we looked at in the third race, throw the seven and ten in your exotics. In the seventh race, the four premier star will make a win wager if we get around seven to two. And in the eighth, complexity, maybe a late exotic single. The number six complexity there, Saratoga Saturday. And let's finish things up with Del Mar Saturday. So I didn't really like too much in the early part of the Del Mar Saturday card. I thought it was going to be very, very formful early on. So, I, I you know, I, I'm generally not going to go over races and cover them and tell you that I just love the favorite in a race. It to me that doesn't really do a whole lot for you and make a whole lot of sense. It's better to just actually go to the races that I like uh, maybe a, a sort of outside the box opinion and it's really not even that that much here at Delmar on Saturday to be honest. The fourth race, make sure the 6 is on your tickets in any early exotics or maybe we'll we'll play Dr. Troutman to win. He he's the one to catch and beat. He, they'll have to run him down He's going to try the dirt again He's going to go second off the long layoff We can give him an excuse for his last two starts So if you're able to make an excuse for those two Then the form looks a little bit better Look at the race he came out of a couple starts back Behind Ronald R and Cleopatra Strike uh, Cleopatra Strike You see United also a few starts back So he has ability He's got the outside draw, and he looks like he's the speed of the speed. So let's use Dr. Troutman in uh, all of your exotics in race number four at Del Mar on Saturday. We get to race number seven. Let's talk a, a late pick five at Del Mar for Saturday. In the seventh race, going to be using the two, four, and five. Going to Vegas, who's coming off that effort. We're just behind Mind out, but the thing about mind out, you're gonna get Pratt leaving to Big Sweep, who tries the turf for the first time and looks like the one to catch in here. There's not a ton of other speed, and so Big Sweep to me is a top selection, the one they'll all have to run down. We'll also be using the four over attracted, who was very good back in June and then just tried tougher company last time out and was behind Laura's Light and Warren Shoot at Showtime, might have been just a little too tough of a group. and you get Hernandez who To be honest is riding a little bit better than Mike Smith Right now who's who's really been struggling So that might not actually be a, a 
a, a bad move Picking up a Hernandez Trying to get this gal into a good spot 5-2-4 In race number 7 at Del Mar To kick off that late pick 5 In the 8th race, Champagne on me Coming in from Gulfstream Park Very well spotted in here And Desert Law, a horse who I played In the Bing Crosby last year Threw in a clunker, may not be quite as good As he was last year But he's going to go 3rd off the bench He has every opportunity cutting back in here Drawn towards the outside to sit He shouldn't be too far out of it It looks like micro rhythms will be flashing some speed You'd think McHale will be too But they're both Baffert So you figure one will go, one will sit What about little Juanito who's fresh He shouldn't be too far out of it Tiger Dad is also quick And Surfing Star from the outside Is shown more route speed But he's fresh It wouldn't be a a major shock If he's a little bit fresh And up up close early I think Desert Law Sits a great great trip in here Along with Champagne on me 2-7 in race number 8 At Del Mar on Saturday We get to the ninth. It'll be the 4 Order and Law Who showed speed last time out But will likely be in more of a sitting trip In here So I'd imagine Order and Law Probably stalking a little bit Behind the horse uh, One bad boy Who we haven't seen in a while He's got some ability, he's fresh But I just want to see a race from him I will include Border Town Who feels like the one to beat And probably the, the most logical winner With this group And then Untamed Domain is kind of a long shot Who should have a, a nice opportunity to improve With that race under his belt now Second time for Sadler, second time over here At Del Mar 4, 9, 7 in race number 9 in race number 10, this is the Pat O'Brien Law-abiding citizen Probably the one to catch and beat from the inside I think they'll have to get by him Not sure if 7 furlongs is necessarily his best So it, it will probably set up for Flagstaff Who will be coming late Flagstaff drops a little far out of it sometimes uh, He did at Oaklawn a couple starts back And as long as he sits in a nice spot he should be very, very tough in here CZ Rocket is obviously a logical contender Who's won three in a row and continues to step back up And then you got Giant Expectations Who was second in this race last year But since that, he's only raced once It was in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile And he was eased out of that race So he's the total wild card I think we'll throw him in 1, 4, 5, and 7 in race number 10 And then we move to race number 11 32 claimers to close things out Facts matter Should be real close Really quick Can run on anything Honestly The 7 Oliva to me feels like the one to beat Coming to that micro rhythms race Was chasing lone speed Two starts back was chasing St. Joan Bay Who was really impressive that day Ghoul We see running at Saratoga over this weekend Prior to that was behind uh, Listing who came out of that race to win So I think Aleva is coming out of some nicer races Gets some class relief Gets back to the grass Really good spot for the 7 7, 3 Facts matter and we'll also use along With the 9 So 3, 7 and 9 in here Combat zone first off the claim First uh, first time gelding for Glatt Treating that one as sort of a wild card 7, 9, 3 in race number 11 Pick 5 Starting in race number 7 2, 4, 5 With 2, 7 With 4, 7, 9 With 1, 4, 5, 7 With 3, 7, 9 That is Saturday Over at Del Mar Good luck this weekend In all of your racing We got you Friday Del Mar Friday Saratoga Friday Charlestown Saturday Saratoga Saturday Del Mar And now we're going to get To an old wrestling recap Andrew Champagne 
Darren Zocali. Join me. We go back in time to 1995, the Survivor Series, and we discuss Bret Hart versus Diesel and all the other Survivor Series matches. One of Goldust's first uh, matches in on pay per view. And a really fun show from top to bottom We're going to hear from one of our sponsors before And then we go to the interview Their old wrestling rewatch With Andrew and Darren One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full service realtor And I am here over in Glendora At Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava Cindy, how was 2019 For you? Tell us uh, a little bit About what, uh, what kind of stuff You were working on Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, The market has has been uh, really good. Um, We're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, It's also looking great for buyers. Uh, The interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, Home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. Everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com, or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. And we're back with the old wrestling rewatch. And this this year, we're this year, this week, and this year, we're going to be going back to 1995. We're going to be going to the Survivor Series. This was Darren's pick. And I got to say, Darren, we were just talking a little bit about it before we started recording. This was a this would have never been a show I would have picked. This wouldn't have been a show that I would have even remembered or ever discussed off the top of my head. I would have maybe thought, oh yeah, that main event match was good between Brett and Diesel. I forgot, in fact, how good it was. I remembered some stuff about the wild card t- tag team match, but this show from top to bottom was very, very good. It was not the best time for WWF, but when you look at some of the talent. In particular that was in that wild card match And then the the title match This was the, You could see the semblance Of a really nice strong middle to Card to main event card Yeah I, I mean Like we talked about this is you know Heading into the time where things are a little bit 
they're going a little bit sideways in, in the WWE and, and soon, you know, Hall and, and, and Nash are going to be leaving. And then, you know, the whole Lundra Blaze Medusa thing. And, and we know what's about to come on the horizon. But despite all that, this is this is a really good show. It's, it's a really good show with 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 a very good to excellent main event. Um, the fun wild card match with with the, you know, the whole faces and heels kind of intertwined on the same teams which makes for a cool dynamic. Uh, the Undertaker has a cool kind of squash Survivor Series uh, elimination match that we'll get into where he kind of just, you know, runs through everybody. But even like the lower-end talent, you know, you, you wouldn't think of things like, you know, Bob Holly and Barry Horowitz on, a, on a, a pay-per-view, but it's actually a fun little match, too, to even, you know, to start things off. So there's a lot of cool things going on. There's storylines going from start to finish throughout the show with a bunch of different guys. Uh, it was one of my favorite Survivor Series. There's nothing bad on this show. And that's something that if you had told me that before watching, I would have been, really? Especially when Not you look watching. at the names on yeah. paper. You're going, you're looking- oh, the Body Donnas, and uh, yeah. a woman's match where we've, we really only know two of these women mm-hmm. that get built at two, maybe mm-hmm. three that get built at all here. So, yeah. Mid, yeah, mid-90s, Bam Bam Bigelow after Lawrence Taylor. I, eh, eh, eh. And then you look at the participants in the Undertaker Survivor Series match, Mabel, Isaac Yankum. Uh, not exactly guys you associate with a lot of fun, a lot of memorable things going on in those gimmicks. But there's so much that is so much fun on this show. There's really only one thing that I didn't like on this entire show. We'll get to it. And it wasn't necessarily the matches. It was the segments. And unfortunately, one particular bit got way, way, way too much airtime. But other than that, really good show. Obviously love the main event. Really love the opener, too. I thought the opener was actually the better of the Survivor Series matches. We'll go into why and all the little stuff that was going on. But this was a really good show. And Darren, a nice pick on your part. So the it's an interesting time because we're at the end of 95 we're getting into 96 and this isn't a great time for WWF the business is not hot at the moment they there is now WCW that has a Monday night show Nitro and they're expanding and they're stealing and poaching a lot of the old WWF talent we've also got the fact that now WWF is doing monthly pay-per-views that they're asking people to purchase instead of Four times a year So now some of these in between shows Aren't getting a whole ton of buys Because it's brand new People aren't really they couldn't. It wasn't a hot product And they weren't used to paying for a pay-per-view Every single month We're getting all these new in, in your house pay-per-views also So Diesel's been the champ For basically a year now he, He's coming up on what would be a year As the champ And it's been Sort of a, a a lackluster 95 I've got to think This this is the first 95 show that we've done Isn't it uh, I can't... Yeah because we haven't done Wrestlemania 11 with, Or uh, Rumble Bam Bam. Right. Or yeah, SummerSlam Right yeah that, And we haven't is, done yeah. any of the in your houses And so, so you know so it is a little different We've done I think almost every other year From from like 88 on it, we, That we can think of but So this is 95 Survivor Series and we kick things off with a match that you know you look on. Well, first off, before we get to the match, let, let's get this, the 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 setup, the package, and everything. So the first thing we actually hear is Mr. Perfect's music, and out he comes. And Mr. Perfect, great wrestler, not a great commentator. He towards the end, 
I think he gets he does much he's much improved in the last couple matches. In the first match or two, you almost forget he's there. He'll go minutes without saying anything. He's just kind of feeling feeling out when to to say something and he he just doesn't have a whole lot to offer. I think in the Brett match, he gets a little bit better and in the in the Sean match too, he feels like with those two guys in particular, he has more to say about them. So I think he adds a little more insight, but um yeah, you know, another one of those guys that you look at like perfect along with Macho, along with Dusty, guys that you would you'd think, oh yeah, these guys are great talkers, they have great characters, they'll be fine, put them on commentary, and they're just not that good there. It just doesn't it doesn't hit nearly as well as everything else for him does. And the uh, the video intro package is all about Brett and Diesel. And this was really good. They had this package, they had two or three of these where they showed promos, they had pre-taped stuff, and all of the build-up for this match was excellent. They made this match feel like it was huge. They made it feel like it was one of the bigger WWF matches in history. I love at the very beginning, they talk about how Brett is the only two-time WWF champ, Intercontinental champ, and tag team champ. Diesel's the only man that won all three titles within a year, and they get the build-up for their no-DQ match. We talked about their two prior matches... They were both pretty darn good too, uh, and and so this was the blow off. No DQ, no count out. There has to be a winner, pinfall or submission. It's Vince, it's Jim Ross, and Mister Perfect as our commentary team. And then we get the opening match, and you look on paper, okay, the underdogs: Marty Jannetty, Barry Horowitz, Hakushi, and Bob Hawley ugh, versus the Body Donnas, Tom Pritchard, One Two Three Kid, and uh, Tom Pritchard and One Two Three Kid. Sonny introduces the heel team. One, two, three kid gets his own entrance with Ted DiBiase. And then Razor Ramon um, comes out after the one, two, three kid, who is now the sellout. And they hold Razor back. Mm-hmm. He ends up going back to the, uh, the back. I'm telling you, you read the, the people in here, you think, okay, this is probably something I could have seen on Superstars. This was a very, very solid match. The crowd was really into it. It exceeded expectations. And what was nice is there were a couple just small Interweaving storylines You had the stuff with the corporation and DiBiase With the 123 Kid, Razor Ramon You had the Barry Horowitz stuff With um, uh, Skip So you had You had good little storylines That were weaved in here To make this actually a really nice Built fun match Marty's on fire to start Bob Hawley tags in He hits a Frankensteiner that was kind of scary Because he landed on the back of his neck Um and and oh hey Mr. Perfect talks there we go he's here he's here he's he's around he's around <laughs> he's here he'd been silent for the first few minutes then we get Rad Radford who uh, is like where did the, Mr. Perfect even said who the hell is Radford he hits a nice spine buster on Hakushi all of these guys though that's the thing they can all go even Doctor Tom Pritchard Skip Radford Horowitz none of them are bad workers Hakushi Marty Janetti those guys can really go. There's a really fun one, two, three kid Hakushi exchange. Then the crowd starts to get really into it. We see Razor backstage with making a difference. Fatu, who we'll talk about a little later on in the uh, in the show. They're watching the match. Uh, Radford tags in. He nails Hakushi in the back of the head for the elimination. So um, th- this was funny. Darren uh, Vince says the official didn't see it. What? I mean, he hit it right in front of him. <laughs> Hebner even yelled at the one, two, three kid after to get out of the ring. It's like, what the hell are you watching, Vince? <laughs> yeah, he he has a couple of those throughout the night where 
you know, you get those kind of Vince where he just says something that has absolutely, it either completely contradicts the line that he said before or has like completely no basis in reality. Um, but, but match wise, there's a couple of really cool spots here. Uh, Hukushi at one point hits some kind of like crazy spinning back heel kick that looks ridiculous. Um, you know, you forget how talented he was and, and the fans actually liked him quite a bit. He actually came out as uh, as a heel when he first started, but uh, eventually turned into a face. But yeah, I mean, there's some cool spots. You know, Skip, of course, is Chris Candido. You know, talk about uh, a tragic story, a guy who yeah. passed away at 33, who ended up getting hurt in a nasty uh, in-ring in- accident where I believe he like broke his foot and his ankle and, and had to go for surgery and ended up contracting pneumonia and actually died from from pneumonia. There was a whole bunch of stuff where uh, I believe it was claimed, uh, you know, CM Punk, I think, claimed that it was like actually a blood clot that killed him. And there was some some back and forth on it. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on with Chris Candido, including, you know, the whole Sonny Heartbreak Kid stuff. And I mean, w- one of the more polarizing figures that WWE has ever had to know. I mean, we could probably do a whole show on him. Uh, but if you're, you know, it's, it's a lot of interesting stuff that you should look into. But yeah, I mean, Body Don is, you know, never really caught on that well as a tag team, but uh, he works really well here. Holly hits a couple of moves throughout the match that I totally forgot that that he was even capable of doing. Um, you kind of know where this is going. You kind of know what we're going to end up with, uh, with the one, two, three kid being the guy that ends up as the sole survivor. And of course, you know, he gets help from Sid and Marty gets distracted and so on and so forth. And then, of course, the match ends with Razor just completely losing his mind backstage and throwing things all over the place, including some cameras. So. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a really enjoyable first match with a couple of really cool moves and, and, and what I thought was a pretty solid opener. I like this match a lot. And when I was looking at who's in the match, first of all, you get Marty Jannetty coming out to kick off the show. Still kind of awkward, given what we found out a couple of weeks ago, yeah. but we're starting to move past that. Ew. And then you look at the people that he's wrestling with. Triple H, and I'm not talking about Hunter Hearst Helmsley here, Hakushi, Horowitz, and Holly. (laughs) Well done. Well done there. Now, Barry Horowitz at this time was about as over as he would get. He wound up being the jobber that somehow got a three or a four-win streak going in 1995, and that got him over as a mid-carder because people wanted to root for the guy that had gotten his teeth kicked in for years. It was actually a pretty cool story. They have Bob Holly in the race car gimmick. Now, first of all, I have a problem with this, guys. They call him a two-sport athlete. I don't know <laughs> if you can call professional wrestling a sport per se when we know the outcomes before we go out there. Make no mistake, the participants are athletes, but I don't know if you can go one step further and call it a sport. Can you call auto auto racing a sport? (laughs) Again, I think the drivers are athletes because of the stuff they have to put up with. You get in a car like that where it's triple digits and hot and you have to make split-second decisions, yes, I'll say that they're athletes. Can you say that it's a sport, and can you say that good old Sparky Plug is a two-sport athlete? This falls apart under scrutiny, and 25 years later, it's time to just rip the Band-Aid off completely. Now, a one that I haven't referenced yet is Hakushi. 
Darren, you mentioned that spinning back kick that he did. It was almost yeah. like a reverse enziguri because if you see a guy do an enziguri, they bring their foot up and go counterclockwise with it. He went the other way. It was a reverse enziguri that actually made me sitting watching, like, whoa, what the heck was that? And he did right. a couple of other things in the match that were really cool. Nobody remembers him because he was five years ahead of his time. If he comes into WWF in 1999 or goes over to WCW even where they had all the cruiserweights, we remember him mm -hmm. far, far, far differently. And WWF knew this guy had talent. They knew that they had a guy who was a heck of a hand. And the way you know this is they wound up entering a working agreement with Mishinoku Pro in 1997. The guy that ran Mishinoku Pro was the great Sasuke, a Japanese legend, and Jinzei Shinzaki, as he was named, was in tight with him and went to Mishinoku Pro after going to WWF. Well, in 1997, for one night only, they brought the Hokushi gimmick back in Japan because The Undertaker was in town. He got to work one match with The Undertaker, Taker won, and as the story goes, the Hakushi character was buried in the mountains and never to be seen again. You might be laughing, but that's actually what happened. Go to Wikipedia, source of all knowledge. It bears me out on that. The match itself, I really like this. This was 18 minutes, lots of quick tags. You never got tired of seeing one nope. guy in the ring. And that's the key because you've got eight guys in here none of whom are above mid-card status with the exception of one, two, three kid who I'd argue is in the upper mid-card ranks mm -hmm. after just yeah. turning heel on Razor. So kid being the last surviving member of either team makes a lot of sense. The dirty finish makes a lot of sense. The crowd hated it. The way this match was booked, I think played to a lot of the wrestler's strengths. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, the one line that needs to be just mentioned so we can drag whoever said it through the appropriate amount of mud here. I think it was Vince who called Akushi the modern day kamikaze. Yes. Vince, yes. I don't think that word means what you think yeah. it means. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. But anyway, really good opener. Love this. And for my money, it's the best Survivor Series match on the show. And this show had a couple of pretty good ones. You could tell too they liked Takushi or they thought highly of him because early on he was in a, a match with Brett at, at a pay per view at In Your House. Yeah. So you know they're getting him when he was a heel. They're they're having him involved with Brett, who is your top guy, even though he's not your champ. Diesel, he's your co top guy. You know, so that told you right away they like this guy. It was just sort of a forgotten about era because there it was an era that just doesn't get discussed a whole lot. We mentioned it's just not a hot time. So yeah, Rapper and Horowitz went out for a bit. Uh, Radford chooses not to pin Horowitz because Skip wanted to. So Radford starts doing these push-ups. They were so bad. They were. I was laughing. I mean, he was barely bending his arms. Horowitz rolls him up and pins him. Um, they were Skip Horowitz stuff for a little bit. One, two, three. Kid eliminates Horowitz. It was down to two on one. Marty versus Skip in the one, two, three. Kid, and we got big crowd pop for Marty. The then Skip with a low blow kick to Marty. Marty gets to the top rope. Sonny trips him, and then Marty. Gets back to his balance with Skip up there. He hits a power bomb off the top rope. This thing was sweet. He ends up pinning Skip. It's now yeah. one on one. It's Marty versus the one, two, three kid. And then Kid hits the leg drop off the top. Kid misses a moonsault off the top. He's another one that when you look back, 
you know, you when you're young, you always like the one, two, three kid. You know, he's got some ability. He he does a good job in the ring. He, but you watch him back now, and you see this guy always was had his working boots on. He always was going. That was what he's in there for. He's there to work. You know, and um, when Marty had the advantage, Sid ended up coming down and distracting Marty. The crowd's going nuts, chanting for Razor. They want Razor to come down. Ted uh, DiBiase distracts the ref. Sid gets involved. The one, two, three kid ends up pinning Marty. Really, really fun stuff. Couple different interweaving storylines going on. Crowd was into it. Exceeded expectations completely. Was my final exclamation point note. So, yeah, we Darren had mentioned Razor's going crazy backstage, and we move on to see uh, Todd Pettengill with Owen, Yoko, Dean Douglas. Uh, Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji They end up talking trash to Razor Who's actually on their team So Darren you you mentioned this you know when we talked about the uh, This show last week a little bit um, This was the wild card match That they had and the idea is kind of cool And I'm, I'm kind of I'm sort of surprised They haven't done more of this because It's an easy way to create Storylines going forward Yeah I mean that's a really good point um, You know back then we still Had the whole Good guy versus bad guy thing kind of going on, mm-hmm. so it, it, it played to that you know to that point. And you had Cornette who managed guys on both sides, which also made for a very interesting dynamic. And you know, while you don't necessarily have the whole good guy versus bad guy anymore, you still have faces and heels, and you still have ongoing stories. And it'd be fun to you know mix people up. And and I guess they do that when they did Team Raw versus Team. Smackdown at the Survivor Series, you wouldn't necessarily get all faces or all heels in that spot. So, you know, I, I guess they kind of did that in some semblance. But, yeah, you you really do get, you know, some interesting dynamics, especially obviously when you had Sean versus Razor, you know, at one point during the match and you ended up with the Bulldog versus Owen at another point in the match. So, yeah, it, it, I thought they did that really well. I, I think there was actually some more that they could have done. But that being said, for the first time that they ever tried to do mm-hmm. this, I, I thought it was a pretty interesting dynamic, and it was one of the, I think, one of the highlights of the show. Yeah, and uh, and then Andrew, you know, not a whole lot as far as the promo, but just kind of a cool, different dynamic. And then one thing I thought was also very cool, Andrew, we get into this women's tag match. It's Bertha Faye's team versus Alondra Blaze's team, and I mean, this was just ten minutes, but it was very quick. We got everybody in and out There were a lot of these women That were wrestling at a much higher level In Japan Where they were wrestling uh, year round And they came to WWF And they were able to showcase things like that here and there Alondra was over there a lot She had feuds with Aja and Bertha And some of these other women who, who were also there This was a pleasant surprise for me too here What, uh, what did you think of this one Champagne? I was a little nervous about this Because look I had obviously heard of Alundra Blaze. I had heard of Bertha Fay. I've seen enough Aja Kong matches to know that the description of her as a female Vader is not far off. She is legitimately so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't consider yourself a fan of Joshi, the Japanese women's wrestling scene, admittedly some of that stuff is a little bit too far for me, but Aja Kong is freaking awesome. I Coming in, I can honestly tell you, I had not seen any matches of the other five women in this match combined. So I had no idea what to expect. And then Chaparita Asari gets the first ever Sky Twister Press on American television. Unbelievable. I mean, this is Neville's Red Arrow 
with less levitation, so you have to spin a little quicker. It was so cool, and JR, to his credit, tried to put over the magnitude of that because Vince was too busy doing his, oh, what a maneuver, shtick, yeah. and having no idea what was really going on. And Vince couldn't really keep up with what they were doing in the ring because this wasn't his style of wrestling. He, he even kind of submits to JR at one point and says, go ahead and call it JR <laughs> during this match because he's got no clue. No, and you know what? That's fine because in 1995, yep. nobody in America was doing this. Nobody. This was really cool. Now, the worst line in this match Goes to Mr. Perfect. Oh, God, I know where you're going. And I'm just going, oh, my God. 25 years late. Look, if you're trying to be the heel, that's one thing, and that's fine. At this point, we're operating under the assumption that Mr. Perfect is never wrestling again because of all of his back problems. So when he says things like, whatever happened to the all-American woman, they should be home making their man something to eat. Yeah. Oh, man. That just made everything really awkward for about 30 seconds or so. And then they get to the finish. Blaze goes three on one with, uh, with the heels. She somehow gets a German suplex on Bertha Fay, who goes about 230 pounds. This was really impressive. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like a Yoko body slam where, you know, the heavier person does most of the work in midair. Alundra Blaze did an impressive deadlift to get her off the ground. They do a bit with Blaze and Aja Kong. Kong hits this spinning backhand for the win that looks an awful lot like Chris Jericho's Judas effect, the elbow. And this was supposed to set up a program for a Lundra Blaze and the women's title. However, WCW had other ideas. And when WCW hires Medusa, Medusa goes on Nitro, throws the belt in the trash, and that's it for the WWF women's division until Lita comes in a couple of years later. So, I think she wrestles one more match after this, Alondra Blaze, on, yeah. on Monday Night Raw, instant a tag, I think, with her and someone versus the two, Bertha and Aja. And then that's it. In December, the, t- the belt's in the trash in WCW. Yeah. Um, so that was the last real serious women's wrestling that we got. Until Lita came in, and even then, it was mostly bra and panties, Playboy stuff. And there were some workers on that roster, but at the same time, if you got work rate out of a women's match at that point, it was an unexpected bonus. So this, though, this was really good, and you can tell they were told, okay, you've got 10 minutes, get as much of your stuff in as humanly possible, and wrap everything up in a neat package. They did that. Check the box and move on. This was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, it, it is unfortunate of what happened with Alundra, you know, leaving shortly after this because, you know, I think the Al- the Alundra versus uh, Aja Kong program could have actually been a lot of fun. Um, and we never really got it. But, you, you know, that, that one move that you spoke about was tremendous. Um, shortly after that, Hasegawa comes in and hits like a series of rolling butterflies that are really good. Um, there's a couple of cool reverse sunset flips. Uh, you get a you get a pile driver in there as well. I mean, they definitely hit some cool spots. I mean, there's even a standing moonsault later on. So, yeah, I really enjoyed the match. Um, a lot of people didn't know who many of these girls were at the time, but the one thing that I did, uh, excuse me, <coughs> choking on my own saliva. The one thing that <laughs> the one thing that did bother me was that 
the big Bertha pinfall. Like she took the pin, and the minute the guy hit three, she just like very alertly rolled out of the ring to go yell at Harvey Whippleman. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you couldn't like, kick out, but you could immediately roll over and out <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, like she took the pin and like within a split second was out of the ring to yell at Harvey. Like, but you just got pinned. Like, sell it a little bit, you know. But. Other than that, that would be my only gripe about the match. I, I thought it was really good. I, I yeah. thought Andrew hit on all the highlights of it. He did, yeah. Um, very good match. Uh, a pleasant surprise. Again, you know, a lot of people won't know many of the girls in here, and you would look at this and might want to fast forward through it. But you don't. should. It's yeah. 10 minutes. It's well worth the watch. Yeah, and the same thing that Andrew said with the first match. They don't, it's not long enough, and nobody's in there to, you get everybody in there real quick. There's an obvious story and point to this match. They're building, you know, uh, the the feud with Aja versus Alondra, unfortunately, that didn't come to fruition really. But there's purpose to it. You know, you get the spot where it's Alondra set up against the three heels. She gets to the point where it's just her and Aja, and then Vince says, "Aja has the advantage." Towards the end of the match, she says, "Aja Kong, very, very big, very strong, very powerful. Obviously, not exactly the most handsome woman you've ever seen, but it's." About competition, it's not about looks. Yeah, like can you imagine that one just 20, you know what I mean? 20 years later, just like, oh, I mean, that's some eeky stuff there. Um, Aja hit that uh, back spinning fist you mentioned and gets the win, and it was sort of out of nowhere, which was kind of a surprise. I don't think people were expecting Alondra to lose, so this was sort of it was a you know a, a nice shock in the middle of a card, which you don't get generally. And again, nice surprise. These first two matches, again, you look on paper, you probably think. And nothing special here They're both very very good and a nice start To the show And then I think this is probably one of the things you were discussing Andrew but We get these Clinton impersonator sketch Why? Skits throughout Why? the show And they're so I just Who is Vince back there laughing You know at this they're, Who thinks this is funny Who is this for If you're a kid in this time you're you, You're always just get this off of my TV It's no good So it's it's Clinton impersonator Bob Backlin is in the president's uh, th- th- We see Bob Backlin later um, b- uh, He talks He asked him about Bam Bam Bigelow and, and the Clinton impersonator says Oh yeah I love Bam Bam you know I love him He's the, 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 the Flintstones you know yeah, That's yeah. not a bad then, Bill Clinton I got a hand then, to you that's not, not bad <laughs> then There's a, a big flash And the president ducks down And there's a bunch of like secret service around him And, and then it's Bam Bam's you know Flash when he comes out it just why do they do this stuff? I mean, they are in Washington, D.C., so I get them wanting to do something, but this didn't work when they brought him in for WrestleMania 10. It's not going to work now. You're given the same guy, the same material. There was one skit that he did late in the show with Sonny that was kind of funny, but not for the reasons that it was intended to be funny in 1995. The hmm. stuff we found out a couple of years later is what makes it funny in hindsight. But this was bad. And the stuff with him ducking when Bam Bam came out. I mean, we're 15 years removed from when somebody tried to shoot Ronald Reagan. I mean, just not in great taste. Didn't work. It certainly seemed like this was Vince booking for an audience as one. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those skits that, you know, is it really has no purpose in the show. 
Uh, it's not, you know, I know they have the whole Mr. Backlund's running for president thing, and they're probably trying to play off that a little bit. But it's just like dumb Phil that I could do without. The show is not a long show, so it's not a painful watch by any stretch. And I'm not saying they need to be shortened at all. But they could have put the creative hats on and come up with something better than going yeah. back to Bill Clinton three times here. Yeah, uh, just just no good. Um, we get the pay-per-view Second ma- second pay-per-view match ever I believe for Goldust coming up next Goldust has been around now for a few months This is Bam Bam versus Goldust I believe uh, Bam Bam interrupted him on Monday Night Raw And you know challenged him to a match So we get a Goldust promo backstage He's speaking in a lot of movie quotes He's new, he's undefeated He's got the real thick gold face paint on He's wearing the wig And the robe And Vince calls him androgynous Which is really funny There's a funny story about the uh, about when Vince actually called Dustin Runnels to discuss coming to WWF He was already coming to WWF But they're talking about what his character is going to be And he says, I, you know, this is my idea for your character And he said, sure, whatever you say, I mean, no problem He didn't know what the word androgynous meant So he just agrees And then he goes up after and he looks in the dictionary And he finds out what it means And he's like, oh. Oh shit! Yeah, guy, I, I, what did I just get myself into here? And he's, you know, he's Goldust, this this character that was um very cutting edge at the time. We, he didn't do a whole lot of the creepy stuff in here that he would have do in the next few months at the very beginning of '96, sort of with Razor Ramon, and then even with into Piper. But uh, yeah, he's definitely this new, completely different character. You know what? This really, this wasn't a great match. Honestly, between two guys that are very good workers, it's not. I think it's not really about the match, though. It was about Goldust with this new kind of character that plays these mind games, and he's ducking in the ring and he's ducking out of the ring and he's going back and forth. So it's yeah, it's not. It's not supposed to be this great work match. It's about putting over Goldust, giving him the biggest win at this point that he's ever had over a pretty established guy in a Bam Bam. And I believe this is another uh, This is another match where One of the wrestlers is gone immediately I think this is Bam Bam's last match in WWF And then he heads over to ECW for a while Yeah, so so This pay-per-view has a couple of firsts uh, Including it being the first Survivor Series ever held on a Sunday uh, And it has a last you are, you are correct, this is actually Bam Bam's Last match uh, before he leaves So maybe that has something to do With the in-ring work the mm-hmm. match, the match itself, has a little too much rest holds and a little mm-hmm. too little actual wrestling moves. You know, you get a belly to back suplex, you get a clothesline over the top rope, uh, you get a splash from Bigelow, you get a running bulldog, and, and that's really it. The rest of it is a lot of just kind of punches and and knees and rest holds, and there's really not a whole lot more to this than that. Uh, which is upsetting because everybody drink. Bam Bam is a big guy that can move. Yeah. Hey, that's my line. That's my line. <laughs> and, and and we know and we know that that Dustin Runnels, aka uh, Goldust, certainly can work. So, you know, would I like to have seen more from this match? Sure. Uh, it, it, there's nothing great to it by any stretch of the imagination, but getting the dynamic of Goldust and the weirdness and what they're trying to put through. Tied into the fact that it is Bam Bam's last match I guess that all kind of makes sense This was probably the worst match on the show yeah. And that's not to say it was bad 
It was just really slow. Now, Goldust is still trying to figure out how to work as Goldust. You can tell there's something there. You can tell he knows how to work. But it takes two to tango in this instance. And it's Bam almost Bam like Bam early Undertaker. To... You know what I mean? Like, he's sort of, like, handicapped a little bit by the, by the character because he's still figuring it out. Because we've, we've seen Dustin work even in early w, his early years in WWF, and then when he went over to WCW, we know this guy could go, but it's not what this character is supposed to be. Goldust isn't supposed to be some five-star worker. He's supposed to be some creepy guy playing mind games and trying to kind of take advantage. Yep. Now, this is an illustration in Bam Bam Bigelow's Fall from Grace because less than a year earlier, he was headlining WrestleMania 11 with Lawrence Taylor. And working a very good match that had no right to be as good as it was. And in large part, that credit is due to Bam Bam Bigelow working his butt off. Less than a year later, he's getting jobbed out to Goldust on his way out the door. And the commentary team not so subtly buries him on his way out the door. If you listen to the stuff that they're saying, Vince is talking about how, oh, I expected him to get more offense in. When Goldust is in control of the match, uh, Mr. Perfect brings up, speaking of gold, Bam Bam's never won gold here. How's that relevant? I know. It yeah. doesn't make sense to me. And I understand that it's the guy's last match in WWE F. I understand that he's not going to become fine. This is a guy that has done a lot of really good work for your company. At the very least, he deserved a more dignified exit than the one that he got, at least from the commentary side of things. Goldust wins. This was to try to establish him. At this point, it doesn't seem like anybody really cares, and that's a shame because Bam Bam deserved better than that. Yeah, at the very beginning of this match, Vince tells Mr. Perfect, uh, Goldust is looking at you. And we have over four minutes, I love the time, these kind of things, between when Goldust's music starts and between when the bell rings, he takes off the robe, takes off the wig, then another minute of just the two kind of staring each other down from afar. Goldust with the advantage early, keeps ducking out of the ring. He hits a big clothesline on Bam Bam. That looked good uh, when he, he clotheslines him over the top rope and outside of the ring. And then he's doing his little ooh with the hands all the way up the uh, up the midsection uh, while he touches himself and Goldust does the uncomfortable these uncomfortable pins where he's very prone on top of Bam Bam and actually like I said it's okay I think we all felt the same just more of a step on the way for Goldust showcasing this character it's pretty slow it's pretty deliberate which is a word I wrote down a few different times as um you know Bam Bam takes control for a little bit but Goldust ends it with the bulldog in his biggest win to date again we kind of covered them all Again, there's another Todd Pettengill with Clinton. I mean, we 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 gave you the blanket on on these Clinton impersonations when we talked about him a few minutes ago. Now we get the build up to the Undertaker's team, the Dark Side versus the Royals. It's really funny because you look at who and, and we know '95. They're trying to make Mabel a thing, and they're trying to build up King Mabel. But when you look at this match, if you were to take the Undertaker just out of here. And maybe just flip him with Dean Douglas It would feel so much better He would just feel so much more in with the other group In that other, what was more of the main event Quote-unquote match Where you've got, you know, Owen and Sean And Psycho Sid and Razor and Yoko and the Bulldog and Ahmed He just 
would feel in, more in that mix. Nonetheless, this w- there was a reason for this. It was to just hey remind us who the hell the Undertaker was and to put him over strong. This was pretty fun. It, we get the build up for the Undertaker's team. They're called the Dark Side, and they're against the Royals. So, in the lead up to this, the Undertaker's face was crushed by King Mabel, and the the Royals team is King Mabel, Jerry Lawler, Triple H, and Isaac Yankum, who is Kane. So what's crazy about this match is you look at it and you've got Triple H when you when you're talking about like all time greats in wrestling you got Jerry the King Lawler Triple H you've got Kane and you've got Undertaker all in this match and even someone like Rikishi who was a pretty good hand for a while um, but they're all in sort of weird different times um, where they're not the guy quite yet. We get a promo from Jerry the King Lawler And he introduces his team uh, King Mabel gets his own entrance Still big pomp and circumstance for the King gimmick With all the King stuff And on Taker's team it's The Undertaker, Savio Vega, Henry Godwin And Fatu And you guys remember this gimmick For Rikishi? Making a difference Fatu Was what he was referred to As the guy who wants to go into his community And clean things up No drugs, no graffiti Let's make a difference But they, we were referring to him as Making a difference Fatu Like that's your, that's your gimmick name um, it, it almost feels like This was a, a situation where Vince was like Hey Undertaker This is going to be your, your Survivor Series match to go over which three of your buddies do you want to have out on your team? Because I know he's he's buddies with Rikishi. He was buddies with Savia. So I think this was like, hey, let me just pick some of my boys. And uh, they're going to be on my side because it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to do all the work anyways in this match. And um, we, I mean, the King, Jerry, has this incredibly awful mullet going on right now. It is Thank just you. Like Thank you for bringing that rat- up. Yeah. Mullet rat tail thing that is just hideous in 1995 to boot. Yeah, I don't know the what end of 95 his, his haircut or when he had it brutal. And Vince mentions that Triple H is undefeated. And Perfect says, or Triple H, he mentions Hunter Hearst Helmsley. I thought it was really cool because what we hear right after this, Mr. Perfect said he wants to be called Triple H. They weren't calling him Triple H yet. This was that was his click name backstage that the guys called him behind the scenes. And I think that was one of the first times I remember hearing somebody say Triple H, which is kind of cool. That's you know, that's what we know him now. Vince kept calling him Helmsley, but a perfect referred to him as Triple H. The a few tags in and out. Mabel tosses Savio around. Jerry, uh, the king, hits a, pop, a pile driver on Savio, who was able to just quickly pop right up and like no sell it, roll over and tag Taker. King looks to tag. But no one will tag him in Taker hits a tombstone, he eliminates Jerry the King Then he quickly tombstones His future brother, Kane Isaac Yankum, Triple H Comes in, he gets absolutely demolished He just ducks out of the ring He tries to leave, but then Godwin has the Slot bucket, Taker pulls Triple H Back onto the apron, in the ring And a massive choke slam over the Top rope for the pin And then Mabel comes in from behind He hits a belly to belly, he hits a big leg drop He's kind of dancing around and Taker immediately sits up. Mabel gets scared. He trips trying to leave the ring and he just runs down the aisle. Taker nails Mo after the match. This is a 4 0 sweep. DZ, and this is just kind of reminding everybody okay, we're going to start to put The Undertaker back in the main event picture after we've given him a, a couple of years now where he, he's just kind of been facing some of these big doofs. And now, now we'll give The Undertaker some due for, uh, for the. Uh, the stripes he's earned for this company. 
Yeah, it, it's the debut of that that mask, which was actually kind of badass back then. Um, you know, there, there's been some goofy stuff, but I remember when I saw it for the first time as a kid, it was like, whoa, it was like Phantom of the Opera type stuff, um, but it, even more intense. There's, there's, there's a lot of funny little spots in here. Triple H is going to go for the pedigree at one point. He looks at the Undertaker and gets scared, um, and he doesn't do it. You know, obviously, Lawler just trying to tag out was hysterical. You know, when Triple H jumps out of the ring to try to, you know, avoid Taker, I don't know. I mean, if I'm faced with either getting hit with slop or having giant dead man with a mask grab me by the throat, I'm probably just going to run through the slop. Yeah, I'll take the slop in the face. Yeah, I'll take the slop in the face. Call me crazy. Uh, Triple H didn't decide to go that route and, and took a choke slam that literally went about three quarters of the way across the ring. Uh, and then, of course, the, you know, the Mabel spot at the end, I mean, where he just kind of runs away from him. Uh, yeah, I mean, clearly, you know, this is exactly what you said it was going to be. It's get Undertaker, you know, back, you know, on on the road to, towards where he's going to be. He's going to be a prominent figure in the main event scene for years to come, especially, you know, 96, 97. He's going to do some work with Diesel before he leaves. He's going to have a couple of different programs with Bret Hart as well. Uh, so there's a lot of big stuff on the horizon for Taker, and this is kind of the launching point for him. You know, great wrestling match, no, but funny story uh, and, a, and a couple of really funny spots as well. Entertaining for me. I like this a lot, and I hadn't seen Taker with the face mask in quite a while. Now, if you look back on mid-90s WWF, there are some stuff that comes across as cartoonish. I dig the mask. I thought it was really cool and well done in hindsight. At the time, there yeah. were people that got on his case and thought, oh, this is stupid. Da, 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 da. I, I buy it. The, the dude is supposed to look like the epitome of death. So if he looks like the Phantom of the Opera and can pull it off, more power to him. And there was a reason for it. Yeah, he, he exactly. got his face. His face. He had an injury. He was covering, it, and it was, and it was one of those things that he did for a little while. You know, we think of the Undertaker too, and we think of him being the dead man forever. But how many little tweaks, even even little things, small things like this, things like you know the the you know American badass that people either liked or didn't like, but just trying things out, reinventing yourself. Some things work, some things don't. I had no problem with this. It was. You know, uh, a total of 14 minutes long But once The Undertaker came in He cleaned house And it was, you know, it did exactly what it was supposed to do We all leave this show thinking They they built a couple of guys up really well As next challengers yeah, Undertaker was one of them We see Sean, we know Bulldog's already going to be one of the challengers they, They're high on Ahmed too You could tell with the way that they're pushing him So I thought there was just a lot of good coming out of this show Yeah for sure. Now, the only thing that Taker ever did that I found objectionable with regard to any of his later characters is he didn't do the spin-a-rooney when the entire roster came out after an episode <laughs> of Raw to try to do it. As a, as a heads up, if you haven't seen this video, there's a half hour long video on Daily Motion of the entire roster and a lot of the heavyweights on there coming out and trying to get The Undertaker to do a spinner Rooney at the behest of one Vince McMahon. Vince does one, Hunter does one, Rock almost does one, and somehow Taker manages to escape without doing it. It's a really fun segment, and there's a lot of laughs in there if you haven't seen it. But going on to this match, Isaac Yankum and Henry Godwin 
actually have a pretty fun sequence. Now, I'm higher on the Godwins as workers than most are. That gimmick was never going to go anywhere or do any favors for anybody. But Mark Canterbury was not a bad worker, and neither was Dennis Knight, who portrayed Phineas. Those two guys could work in the right instance. That gimmick was just DOA. He does a pretty good sequence with Isaac Yankum, who eventually becomes Kane. We already mentioned Mr. Perfect talking about Triple H. We already mentioned Lawler's mullet. We haven't mentioned Mr. Perfect in what I think is actually the line of the night. And it's so subtle that you might have missed it. But he calls Savio Vega Chevy Vega. And I thought that was pretty funny. So he does that. It gets no sold by Vince and JR, probably because they figure Mr. Perfect's just misspoken because he's been out of action for so long and may well not have prepared. But in listening to that, I thought, okay, that was pretty fun. I'll give him credit for that. So the one thing I didn't get about this match, and I liked most of it, I liked the story that they told. Waller hits the pile driver on Savio Vega. And Jerry Waller's pile driver had put away hundreds of thousands of wrestlers, including Todd Shrupp, over the years. <laughs> nice call. Savio Vega pops up, does this zombie hot tag thing that seemed goofy to me. I, I didn't really like that, and I thought it devalued Lawler's finish. I agree. But, yeah, I, I, it was weird. It was like, I didn't, yeah. did Savio, I, I don't know, Savio didn't have one of those things where it's like, you hit him on the head and it doesn't matter, right? He didn't have right. the uh, the Samoan thing where it's like, that doesn't do any damage to him. It just seemed like, why is he no-selling this? Exactly. Now, it, to be fair, they sort of sold it as him popping up as part of the bump and then tagging Undertaker on the way down. But it still looked really goofy. Mm -hmm. And I understand the goal was to get Taker involved and to save him until the last five minutes. And in that regard, mission accomplished. It was a fun match. It told a fun story. We got minimal Mabel, which is always a good thing. Mo wound up taking the big choke slam at the end of the match because Mabel ran away. I can live with what we've got. Check the box and move on. I think that should have been his gimmick name, Minimal Mabel. <laughs> there was nothing minimal about Mabel exactly. or, in his later years, Big Daddy V. Oh, that's great. Nice nice one. I, I like Thank that. You. So, Thank you. Yeah, th this was just, again, another instance of the only really thing that wasn't, I would classify as good to above average on this show, was the Goldust Bam Bam. And, and that was... Had a, it had a purpose, we're building a new star It's not supposed to be a great match Now we're backstage with Brett We get a promo, he talks about how the winner of this match Is going to face the British Bulldog So he's the number one contender This was really fine stuff from Brett the, He says the truck stops here, Diesel And then I liked the Diesel's approach And the promos he was cutting going into this match Talking about, hey, you know, I'm not I don't get paid by the hour here you know what, I, I don't care if we go 25-30 minutes I'm going to try to beat Brett soon, I'm going to jackknife him And uh, and that's going to be it So I thought, it was everything was very real You know, we had Brett talking about Hey, I'm going to make this match go long I'm the technical wrestler here And Diesel talking about his power And then we get Jim Cornette and Ted DiBiase backstage With Bulldog, Sean, Sid, and Ahmed They, uh, they discuss uh, Just a real quick promo Nothing really special about that at all um, Right before their match, super basic stuff now it's the wild card tag match So it's Owen Yoko Dean Douglas and Razor Versus Sid, Sean, Bulldog And Ahmed 
Yoko weighs in at 641 pounds So we've got three baby faces And five heels out of the eight On the two different teams Bulldog's the number one contender for the title Perfect says uh, Ahmed is as big as a house He's got the double garage to go with it Oh wait, that's his nose And then he says, wait, he can't hear me, can he? (laughs) Real quick, (laughs) it says no And Vince is talking a lot about Gorilla at this point as the new president Wanting to be fan friendly with all these new ideas The wild card match We get Sean and Owen to start Sean's really hot, uh, the crowd's pretty hot for the Sort of new babyface Sean He's been turned babyface since after Wrestlemania And we get Razor working on Ahmed When he's in the corner Which is kind of cool Those are the little spots that were fun When you got you know a babyface against the babyface Or a heel-heel stuff um, Sean and Ahmed with some tandem offense Razor nails his own partner Dean And then Sean rolls him up uh, There was Bulldog versus Owen stuff That was really cool Sean versus Razor stuff that was cool JR had a, had a nice line where he says uh, I don't think they can wrestle each other without a ladder um, There was a big time standoff And then a fun sequence Razor hit the Razor's edge And he looks like he's going to get the pin But Ahmed breaks it up at 2 Razor and Sid then go at it for a while That's what I liked about this mat- This There were some really cool I- iterations In this matchup like Sid and Razor had a little fun interaction Even seeing Sean and Yoko Was kind of cool in there and every, Almost every Because Dean Douglas wasn't ever really t- uh, Treated like a big deal all, others, all the other seven in this match The combinations of them are, are kind of fun and, and really cool um, Razor ends up pinning Sid in there And it gets down to three on three um, Let's see Sid powerbomb Sean before leaving Sean ends up kicking out at two there was a couple weird things in this match though I will say Darren I think it happened twice When somebody pinned somebody else And they were not the legal man That actually that happened Sean kicks Sean tags in He ends up yep. trying to kick Sweet Chin Music Razor He hits Sid And then they end up just pinning Sid And just forget completely about the fact that Sean just tagged in And then it happens later with Bulldog When Bulldog's in the match And he eliminates Razor I believe So they're that's one thing that, you know, when we're watching these things back, it's hard not to notice some of those things, little things here and there. Other than that, though, this was, there was a lot going on. There were times where you kind of had to stop and think again, real quick, okay, who's on which side? But I, other than that, I mean, it was, it was pretty fun. I, I really enjoy most of these, these guys in here, and we don't get a ton of Yoko. We get a lot of Sean, a lot of Razor, a lot of the better workers in this match, as we could expect. And you could tell the way the, the commentary team was. Was selling Sean They really had plans on him being the next big guy Yeah there's a, there's a bunch of weird stuff Like happens even the time that Razor goes for the pin on Sid And Bulldog comes in To like break it up And, and, and he like awkwardly actually hits Sid again and, and then like Gets up and leaves and Razor falls Off the pin and then goes back on the pin As well so yeah th- there was a couple Of things in there that were that were strange um, Yeah I didn't get like there was one spot where uh, there was an elimination, and and the like uh, right after that the bulldog comes in the Sid's elimination I think it was, and the bulldog comes in and, and I mean he could he could come in because his partner just got eliminated so the next guy could just jump in and go, but the referee makes bulldog leave. Meanwhile, Sean's getting power bombed by Sid on the way out, and for some reason Sean is just made to be the legal man now. Why? I guess because Sean originally got tagged. So it's it's kind of backwards. Like, Sean got tagged, came in, like you said, accidentally kicked Sid, 
The ref allows Sid to get pinned, but then after the pin, it's like the ref remembers that Sean's supposed to be the legal man and makes Bulldog get out, and now Sean's got to go back in and wrestle. Mm-hmm. So that's all kind of like twisted and backwards. Okay, you know. Anytime that Sid's involved, I'm going to blame it on him for missing a spot. <laughs> okay. I, hey, I, now, I will, he, he has half that. the brain you do. Half the brain you do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will accept that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this whole time I remember watching it, you're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to turn on who, where, where's it going to be. I mean, at one point, you know, Razor Cold Clocks, uh, Douglas, you know, you knew that that was going to come eventually. Um, you know, towards the end of the match, the bulldog breaks up, uh, breaks up a pin. Uh, doesn't want you know Yoko Ono or, or or Owen. I forget which one to get pinned. So uh, he comes in, and then obviously Sean and, and Ahmed go after him. Um, you get the you get the body slam on on Yoko, which you know Yoko did a lot of the work there. Probably ninety percent of the work in that in that body slam, which didn't really. It was more like a pick up and drop on the floor, but you know got a got a rise out of the crowd. So so be it. Uh, and then at the end, you got like Bulldog celebrating after just getting like knocked over the top rope, which is kind of funny. Um, clearly, they're pushing Ahmed here. It's his first big moment. You got Sean raising his hands and kind of pointing at him. So clearly, you know, Vince obviously liked him a lot, even though forget about him not being a good worker, a guy that ended up being dangerous in the ring. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it was a wild card match. Certainly lived up to the, the name. There's some wild spots in there. Um, I, I really remember laughing when Sean accidentally kicks Sid and he's like doing the thing with his fingers, like missed it by that much. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, you know, and, and you hear, actually hear the laughs in the crowd. Uh, like that was kind of cool. Um, you know, the Owen and Bulldog kind of squaring off against one another, you know, was kind of a cool spot. Razor pointing up, you know, as if to look across the ring at Sean and say, hey, man, you know, no ladder here. What do we do? You know, what do we do? Uh, I thought that was a cool spot too. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of little intricacies in this match that I, that was enjoyable. It was a good match. It, it, it went long, but you know what? Uh, I, I think it, it got all of the necessary spots in, and I didn't mind the length of it. I enjoyed it. I've got a question, and this yeah. has been brewing in the back of my mind because we've been watching a lot of mid-'90s WWF, and after every show, I'm left with the same findings. One of the biggest pops on every show comes when Razor's music hits. Yep, he's another unsung hero. Why he, didn't he at least get a cup of coffee with the big belt? I have I no idea. I know he had his demons. Everybody did. See also the fact that they put the belt on Shawn Michaels in 1996. I don't think demons were the problem there. I mean, he was perpetually over from 1993 until he left. You got that main event match at the Rumble. Immediately, he's in the main event of 92 with in the tag match with Flair, with Macho, and with Perfect. It feels like he's a main eventer. He faces Brett in this really good like 25-minute match or so at the Rumble 93. And then at WrestleMania 93, he's facing Backlund in a weird match. And then afterwards, he's always a very good IC-level guy. But he, how many other... Matches for the title did he ever get Why did we have to put up with Main event Yokozuna when we could have Gotten Razor Ramon in that spot That ticks me off Turn him heel and give him a match with The taker yeah Dude they could have done so much more with him 
And it makes all the sense in the world why he would have left in 96, especially given the story he tells about taking Vince aside and going, Mm -hmm. is there anything I can do to improve my standing in the company? Is there any way I could potentially move up the card? And Vince basically told him, no, we see you as this guy. I'd have moved too. Just saying. Mm -hmm. So they bring Razor out. He gets the gigantic pop. And right away, you get the sense, okay, this is going to be different. This could be intriguing. Not to say the match was bad because it wasn't. It was just slow for me. And part of that may very well be because of a couple of the guys in the match. I mean, Yokozuna was advertised as 640 pounds at this point, and he certainly looked it. Ahmed Johnson was not ready for prime time. He would never be ready for prime time. And it seemed like everybody else in the match was treating it as sort of a house show type thing, a special attraction kind of deal where nobody really got out of second gear. Now, given the workers involved, second gear is still pretty darn good, but it just didn't really hit that level that you knew some of the guys in that match could have hit. Now, there were a couple of really cool moments and a couple of spots. Mr. Perfect screaming at Shawn Michaels during his entrance was really funny, talking about how this guy's got nothing on me, McMahon. What's the big deal? You can tell that's a shoot comment, and it's really funny, especially given that when HBK and Kurt Hennig finally got the chance to go one-on-one with each other, they had zero chemistry, none. And it was really disappointing for all involved. So... HBK hits Cornette with his own tennis racket. I thought that was a pretty funny spot. Uh, Michael superkick Sid shrugs it off. The other part of this match that I laughed at was on commentary where Vince makes light of what happened one night in Syracuse, New York. Yeah. Talking about how HBK was, and I'm quoting here, attacked by nine thugs in Syracuse. I don't think that's the way it went down there, Vinnie Mac. Sort of feels like Sean was being Sean at a bar and a whole bunch of Marines were not going to let him do that. And Sean tried to take everybody on by himself and failed miserably. Just saying. Now, the ending was fun. And I loved how after Sean and Ahmed took care of business with Yoko, Bulldog, who initially broke up the pin, tried to come back in and celebrate as part of the winning team. I thought that was a pretty (laughs) cool touch. This wasn't bad. It was just slow for me. This match got 27 minutes. Yeah, it was long. You could have cut eight minutes off of that, and it still would have been sort of the exact same match. Yeah, that's probably probably pretty fair. Go ahead, DZ. Yeah, sure. Building on what um, Andrew said at the beginning regarding, you know, Razor, it's really fascinating if, if you think about if that conversation with Vince had gone differently, where Vince said, yeah, you know, we, you know, we're a little jammed up right now. We do see you as a main event guy in the not-too-distant future. You know, hang in there. We have big plans for you. If that happens, he probably never leaves, which means he never goes up to Nash and says, hey, man, you know, they, they gave me a contract where if, if they go out and, and hire somebody for more money, they have to bring me up to that number, go see what you can get. And then he go, and then Nash never goes. And, and who the, the Monday Night Wars may have never even happened if Vince and Razor had a different conversation. I mean, it's, yep. it's amazing to think about how one conversation between two people 
could have completely changed the landscape of wrestling, not just for the next few years, but forever. Because it, who knows what happens if Razor it, doesn't go? It's funny. I almost respect Vince more because why the hell wouldn't he just lie? Right? right. I mean, why wouldn't right. he just tell him, sure. Yeah, here's the plan. Here's the plan. It's going to be a feud with this, and then two six months down the line, you're going to get turned, and you're going to be back in the main event picture, and we're going to give you a you know right. a shot, and maybe we'll give you a run with the title. We'll see what's going on there, but you're definitely going to get a, a a title match at you know whatever it is, 1996 uh, Royal sort of uh, WrestleMania, you know whatever it's going to be. You, right. He he could just bull. He could have just bullshitted him. And, and, and here and here's the thing that that bothers me about about Nash. So. From that conversation, I get why Razor did what he did. Nash, I have a problem with because he had no gripe. This is a guy that was given every belt in the company in like a nine-month period. And in like his second year in the company, was given a one-year title run where he had a series of matches with one of the all-time greats, including a classic coming up that we're about to talk about. Uh, at the Survivor Series. He strictly left for the money. And he talks about how he didn't want to leave. And Vince was the first guy that ever saw something in him. And all that stuff. And that's all well and good. But there is something to be said for, for loyalty. And it's not like the guy was getting paid nothing by WWE. He had just been given a long title run. And, and his contract was up. He was going to get a raise. Vince just wasn't going to pay him $1.5 million to work 120 days. And, and if you think about it, this is a guy that got brought into the company in the middle of 93. So in the period of two and a half years, he went from being a bodyguard. A nothing. I mean, he was awesome. nothing. In, in to, WCW. To, Absolutely yeah, nothing. Nothing. And, and, he, and he became one of the stars of the company. So clearly, Vince loved the guy. You knew you had big things on the horizon. You had to see big picture and know that your arrow was still pointing up. You just had a one-year title run. You got your all your buddies are there. You're yeah. working with Sean. You're working with Ray. Your your crew is there. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with Razor because if if he wasn't going to get to the main event picture, there was really nothing left for him to comp- accomplish in WWE. Nope. Nope. So that's fine. But Nash. What exactly did he have to complain about that he should have bolted? He was never out of the main event picture, even at the very end. His last feud was with the ta- with Taker. Taker. He had yep. stuff with Sean right up until the very end going on. It just, yep. um, it yeah, it didn't it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, and it, it worked. Was money. It, was money, it was money, and it, and it worked for them for for a little while when they go over because it's hot for a bit. But in the grand scheme of things, in the long run, I mean, they Nash will be the first one to tell you all the time we needed Vince's filter. We needed the filter. We got the creative control. Things went our own way. We need somebody to push us in the right direction. We need somebody to clean. We can have an idea or two, but they're not the the whole. They they can't do everything, you know. And and that's what these guys got this ego thinking. Oh, give me creative control. Give me creative control. Then they all got it, and they saw what happened. They just completely helped tank a company. So, yep. yeah, it was. Um, it it was interesting at this time too because this is when they were is as. Andrew mentioned they were talking about what happened With Sean when in real life he did have a Concussion after getting beat up And so they're selling that concussion And the next night he actually has A match with Owen Hart where they Play off of it and he passes Out in the middle of the ring and they Act like he got concussed again 
and they actually they actually go with the Shawn Michaels retirement angle for a little bit. They act like he's done. He makes his return at the '96 Rumble, wins the Rumble, and then he ends up winning the title at at WrestleMania, you know, in '96. And and so this is sort of the start for Shawn with all this. It's just very interesting to see it in the very beginning parts of it where they're they're pushing this uh, concussion stuff a lot. And um, Vince, what I like to Mr. Perfect ask Vince, does Shawn have what it takes to be the WWF champ? And Vince kind of pauses for a second and says, uh, we'll have to see, Mr. Perfect. It was just funny. He's like, um, I mean, I guess I can tell you because I, I, I'm going to make the, the I'm going to make the decision sooner or later. But uh, he, he, he kind of pauses for a second. Mr. Perfect keeps saying that Sean reminds him of someone meaning himself. And um, Sean is really selling, beaten down for a while. Hot tagged uh, Ahmed, who has slammed Oko's, uh, Yoko before. He hits a Pearl River Pledge on Owen for the pin. And he hits a spine buster and he goes to celebrate There was this really weird spot where, where Razor hits like a razor's edge on him Off the rope and In comes Bulldog as Darren was mentioning Then Ted and the one two three kid And Sid come to distract Razor uh, Bulldog comes in from behind power slam To eliminate Razor it got down to three on one With just Yoko left and there, It was kind of fun seeing Yoko and Sean go at it For a little while Sean's flip uh, flopping All over the place Yoko misses The bonsai drop Sean uh, Tags Ahmed who ends up Slamming Yoko He has the pin but uh, the bulldog breaks it up Sean ends up hitting the sweet chin music On Yoko Ahmed with the running Splash for the W so all Three men survive because you could tell They're building up Sean They bulldog is the next title Contender and they love Ahmed he's brand New they don't want any of these three guys to get Eliminated or lose and it makes sense With with these three why they didn't get Eliminated why they didn't lose and we, um, I mean, we talked a lot about this match because there was a ton going on. It was fun. It was they could have cleaned this up a lot, and with the workers in here, it could have been better. But it was not bad by any way, shape, or form. <laughs> we get the Clinton impersonator one more time. This time, Sonny's sitting on his lap, and he asks her if she wants a cabinet position. She, he says, "Come, come on, we'll talk about the positions." And uh, she said she'd make a great undersecretary. <laughs> Which is ooh, yeah, there you go, Sunny. And this is this is pretty peak Sunny before she's gets a little more uh, run down looking. She's she's she still looks very very very. Drugs good. are bad, kids. Yeah. Drugs are bad. Yeah, very very good here. Um, and then we get the Diesel versus Brett build up package. I love the the Diesel saying. Uh, He's not trying to win this on points. This isn't Thank some you. collegiate Thank wrestling you. That match. Was so cool. So that was cool. great. It was great. And then even even something like this, right before they come out, Vince turns, they take 30 seconds, and Vince asks each of the commentators who they think is gonna win. First, he starts with Perfect, and Perfect says, You know what? I was more of the technical wrestler. I think it's gonna be the hitman. I'm taking the technical guy. And then he turns to JR and he says, You know, Jim Ross, you've been you're more of the uh you know you know the big bruisers. What do you think? And he says, I think it's gonna be the bruiser, I think it's gonna be Diesel. Everything they did to to build this match made it feel really big. Going into it, I was ready for it. They built it up the whole match with a couple of these different video packages, and it really did feel like these are two of the the best WWF wrestlers of the era, and we're gonna see which one of them is the best right now. And we get a big pop for the Hitman, big pop for Diesel, and this is a face face match at the time. Both these guys are good guys, and it's a no disqualification match. There's a, a cool little spot before the match where Brett, the referee, shows Brett the belt, and he looks at it for a second, 
and he smiles and he does this eyebrow shrug. It was like you could tell Brett was winning right there. If you didn't know, you're like <laughs> he's smiling like I'm. This is mine in a little bit. He, it's like the opposite of that boo boo face that they talk about when when like Luger or or Randy comes out and they and they, you could tell they're losing. This was that like I can't hide it. This title's coming back to me finally. So uh, perfect, actually. Even puts over the title. He says this was the title that eluded him all these years. I, I like that line, and you could see him getting more involved in the show now in these last couple of matches. It, it, it just took a while for him to get comfortable And to get his footing uh, with Mr. Perfect on the commentary table Diesel, big power early on Brett ducks out of the ring a couple times They go at it in the aisle um, He does a stun gun to Brett across the barricade where He drops him across his neck All big daddy cool early on Small flurries from Brett Who again gets knocked outside And then Diesel tosses Brett into the steps outside the ring He throws the timekeeper uh, out of the way Grabs the chair he was sitting in and just nails Brett. So Diesel's going for the jackknife, but Brett kicks. Uh, Brett's able to knock out of it, and Brett turns it around and starts working on the legs. Really good stuff from Brett. It's not like the boring rest hold leg stuff. He's working at, and he does five or six little different things. He uses the ropes for leverage. You know, all sorts of different leg holds here. Never slow. Always a solid pace, especially when Brett gets in charge. And he's just going to work on that knee He locks in the figure four This was a the one spot that bothered me though And I'm glad that Mr. Perfect mentions it And JR does his best to try to get, get them kind of out of it in a way So Diesel gets to the ropes This is a no DQ, no countout match And Vince says, oh he's got to break the rope He's got to break the hold Huh? Mr. Perfect calls him right out on it He, he says, why? He says, well, uh, that's, uh, you know, and he just kind of doesn't know what to say. And then, <laughs> and then JR says, well, the ref's in a tough spot here. You know, he kind of helps him. And it just is like one of those things that somebody didn't think about. Like, uh oh, especially with Brett doing all these submissions, we should have had a, you know, better way to just sort of get out of there. So um, then Brett actually ties up Diesel's foot to the ring post. He grabs a chair, he starts nailing Diesel. And now this is really a fight. Like, we haven't seen Brett. Go get a chair and do something like this Really ever he's always been white meat Baby face you know last Three I mean four years 92 We're talking 91 Um so he Big sidewalk slam from diesel We get um you know Brett chest first into the, the exposed turnbuckle One of those great Brett spots and now Diesel's really selling that leg injury He slowly works on Brett And diesel's really Slowing down he can't get Brett up for the power slam And then Brett's got the advantage Now we're just going back and forth and back and forth uh, Perfect mentions a really cool stat Brett's been at every Survivor Series Up until this point And he'll be at Survivor Series 96 And he'll be at Survivor Series 97 Which was it's funny because that's like his uh, the, the night the swan song for him And uh, he says this is one of the best fights He's ever seen So Perfect's really putting this over Brett hits a bulldog off the top Vince starts praising Brett I thought this line was hilarious He's like oh Brett If he beats Diesel He really might be the best there is The best there was and the best there ever will be And Mr. Perfect says So if Brett wins we gotta listen to the re- that for the rest of our <laughs> lives <laughs> which, which was just great And um, and he says The best there is was and, and could be Sitting right here And Brett starts climbing back into the ring And Darren and for for this time period, we get a spot where Brett is on the apron. Diesel gives him like a hip bump, and Brett jumps. He leaps flying into the Spanish announce table, 
through the table and we get to the finishing spot. But I mean, there is so much going on here and up until this really big spot. So, yeah, we talked about that there's some firsts in this show. This is the first ever Spanish announced table broken in a WWE pay-per-view. Um, looked it up, verified it in a couple of different spots. That is correct. So that's a pretty cool, uh, a pretty cool tidbit because, of course, probably from this point on, you don't go in another pay-per-view for 25 years without a Spanish announced table getting broken. So here you have a trendsetter. Um, yeah, I mean, this match tells such a cool story. The promo leading up to it, the match just lives off the promo. You know, Diesel going for the knockout early. Big punishing blows, big punishing moves, trying to put away, you know, the more technically sound wrestler early, get the thing over with, just beat the hell out of them, while Brett is just trying to weather the storm until he can kind of turn the tide and turn this into more of a wrestling match. Um, the, uh, the, the, the two things with the, um, with the turnbuckle pads. So normally I would say, yeah, it's cheesy. You know, the, the match starts off where they take off turnbuckle pads. It could be cheesy, but it's not. And here's why. And here's the difference. The difference between WWE now and WWE 25 years ago. WWE now in the main event of SummerSlam this past Sunday had a spot at the end of the main event where one of the wrestlers, Braun Strowman, gets a box cutter and cuts up the ring and exposes it, okay? Then, literally 30 seconds later, the exposed ring is what's used to end the match. It all happens in one felt swoop. But 25 years ago, they take the turnbuckle pads off, and you almost kind of forget that they're off. And then maybe 15 minutes into the match, Brett gets flung back of the head first into the steel, and you're like, oh, shit, I forgot that turnbuckle yeah. head wasn't there. It, that's you like know, a, that's had to be a Brett thing. You know what I mean? Like, when they're talking about the match and laying it out, that's something that he's like, yep. hey, we're going to do this, and then we're just going to forget about it for 10 minutes. Yep. And that is when it worked so well. Not when you do something, and it's fresh in everybody's mind, and, 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 and there's no... There's no it's like telegraphed. To it. yep. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. completely. T- that was like, oh my god, I forgot that turnbuckle pad's not there. You know, that's a really cool spot. The stuff with the rope is actually, uh, oh, the microphone cord is kind of is kind of interesting because Brett has actually talked about that, where he tied it way too short. It wasn't supposed to be where they got stuck in that corner for five minutes. But looking back on it, he actually thought it was cool the way it worked out. But because there was a couple of spots where, like, Brett goes up to the top, and, and you see, like, Diesel, like, gets up, and he tries to get away, and Vince goes, oh, Diesel's still tied. He can't get away, you know? <laughs> and he gets, like, knocked back on the ground. So it actually worked out pretty funny, but if you listen to what Brett talks about with this match, that wasn't supposed to happen because the microphone cord was not supposed to be tied that short. And if you watch Brett as he's tying it on Diesel's leg, He's having a really hard time completing the knot because there's just not a lot of slack to work with because the rope, the microphone cord is only like four feet yeah. long off the yeah. turnbuckle. So that, that, that's kind of funny. Um, you talk about the spot, the Spanish announce table. You have a lot of cool, good wrestling spots in between. You get, you, you get the, the story of the wrestler, the story of the no DQ, and the story of the power. Now, we talked about in the past that sometimes you, you get finishes that kind of come out of nowhere that leave you flat. 
And again, giving you, and, and we could debate this at another point, but giving you a modern example, this past Sunday night, the Orton McIntyre backslide for me left me flat. It came out of nowhere and it was surprising. I didn't like that finish. I thought that was dumb seeing Randy Orton getting pinned by a backslide. This for me, where he, he sells the playing possible and then gets, you know, Diesel's kind of like, you know, looks like he's having some second thoughts. Like, you know, this guy's out on his feet. You know, do I really have to hit him with this move? And when he picks him up again, Brett pops up, rolls him into a small package out of nowhere. One, two, three. That's the kind of out of nowhere pin that WWE used to do that I like. You get the great finish. You get the heel turn at the end with Diesel. And this match literally accomplished every single thing it was set out to accomplish. It had the promos. It told the story. It sold the story. It transitioned the character from Diesel the face to Diesel the tweener to Diesel the heel. And it crowned your champion, Bret Hart, who, by the way, is now only the second person in the history of the company to hold that championship three times. The other being my personal favorite, as we all know, the great Hulk Hogan. So, Andrew, uh, I thought this was a as close to a five-star match uh, as you can get and probably the best match that Diesel ever had. I really liked this match. Uh, there were a couple of really cool little parts to it, both before and after the match. Diesel did something that he pointed out in later interviews was by design. He went out of his way to only high five or fist bump fans with the black Diesel glove on. Go back and rewatch his entrance. He's deliberately picking and choosing the fans that he's interacting with based on who bought his merchandise. I thought that was a pretty cool little tidbit. And it's cool if you know what you're looking for. There's a great moment from a TV production standpoint that makes the match in this, uh, in this spot, I feel. So Brett goes up to the top rope and gets this beautiful top rope bulldog. Now, it would have been a really cool move from any camera angle, but they got the perfect shot for it with one of the cameras on the floor looking straight up at Diesel. Kevin Nash looks like he's about 15 feet tall and Brett looks like he's scaling Mount Everest to try to bring this guy down. It is such a cool shot seeing Brett go up and then everything slowly come down. I love that, and I marked out really hard for it. There was one hole in this match. There was one hole in the story, and I need to bring this up. I understand that I'm probably going to be very outnumbered because I'm dealing with a couple of diehard Brett fans on this podcast, but I need to bring this up. So early in the match, Diesel gets the upper hand. He signals for the power bomb. He sets up for it. Brett gets out of it and starts biting Diesel. He does this a couple times during the match. Mm -hmm. Grabs a chair, starts beating down Diesel's leg, and the crowd starts booing him. They do. Now, it is, it's a mixed reaction. I'll give you that. But the boos are audible. Mm -hmm. I think there's a hole there because the entire story of this match is can the technical wizard beat this freak of nature who's seven feet tall, 300 pounds, and looks like he could kill you? The storyline wasn't Brett biting Diesel. That wasn't the story. And they could have figured out other ways to do that. 
I thought the stuff with the mic cord was incredibly inventive. I could have done without the biting. I could have done without the chair. I loved the finish. Absolutely loved it. I don't think Diesel got hurt by the finish. No, and it was, was just, yeah, it was great because he looks like a badass heel right afterwards when he turns heel immediately, and it just kind of sets a different trajectory for him. Exactly, and then he goes into the feud with Taker, and then he's gone. But it's a situation where they get the title on Brett, they start building to Brett versus Sean at WrestleMania. Diesel loses nothing. This was a very, very, very good match. I have it at four and a quarter stars for those of you on the star system. It would have gotten an extra quarter or maybe even an extra half star had the story been told a little differently without Brett resorting to stuff that wasn't really in character for him. That just seemed awkward to me. And it wasn't necessarily that it was bad because it did fit with the no disqualification, no count out theme that they were talking about. It just didn't seem like something Brett would be motivated enough to do. That just didn't seem to be in his wheelhouse. It's still a great match. It's still a match that I was really excited to watch again. It holds up 25 years later. It's probably Kevin Nash's best match ever, and for good reason. And it's a reason that I was really excited to rewatch this entire show and find some other things that entertain the heck out of me. So just to quickly build on what Andrew said regarding the you know, Brett kind of doing things that are out of his character here. I, I think that's what happens when you, you can kind of paint yourself into a corner with a no DQ match mm-hmm. because you have to do yeah, something. You have to do something because these guys have fought twice in the last year and you've had non finishes. So you're trying to make it a point as to, as to make it a part of the story. This match has to have a winner. So going in, you're telling everybody, someone's going to win this match. So I kind of get that. But I also understand what Andrew is saying is that I at do too. this point, Bret Hart is the wholesome... He's hero. not that guy. He's not that guy who's going to be biting and hitting you with a chair and things of that nature. So I get that side of it too. But but, but he, And even this Bret character is... He's only had one shot now for the last year. He is right. upset. He is sort of... I want this title back. So I completely understand we're on both sides of it there. Andrew, you hit a good point that I didn't even really think of, but, and and then you got the other point of it, Darren, is that you got it. You can't put him in a DQ match and then not use any weapons when there's this big ECW influx going on and a hardcore influx going on all over the place. And I think that's sort of what they wanted here too. So it was, it was really hard to serve all the masters. Yeah. You can't, you can't have a no DQ match. But then have the thing just, you know, go right down the middle with having, without having... I mean, could you do the match and have Diesel, because you're turning him heel anyway, do all of the extracurricular stuff and Brett doesn't? You know, maybe if you just left it to, you know, tying the leg to the post? I suppose. Yeah. But when you, when you tell Brett you're going to be in a no-DQ match, you know, he's going to, he, he's going to talk about that. And, you, and here's the weird thing. And this is gonna, this is really, really gonna be funny for Andrew. Brett <laughs> actually talked about the spot that Andrew was criticizing, and Brett loved that spot. It was his idea. He said he loved the angle. He loved the way it looked. He thought that it kind of metamorphosized his character a little bit in being this whole new generation and 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 kind of having to 
you know, go with the times and learn some new tricks of the trade. He actually specifically spoke wow. about that spot and said, and, and he literally pointed it out in talking about that biting spot and said how much he actually loved how that spot came out. So go figure it that, you know, that's the thing that Andrew criticizes. And Brett went out of his way in an interview to talk about the fact that that, that the, the table spot and the finish were his three favorite parts of the match. What does Bret Hart know about wrestling anyway? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't hold water. Come on! <laughs> I mean, this was, I think, just kind of what you said. There were one or two small things that kept this from being a five-star match, but it wasn't far off. And from from seeing Nash in, you know, in some other matches and in 95 and stuff with Mabel, he had a horrendous match with the Bulldog, too, at, at one, like, legendary, awful pay-per-view where just one of... Everything ended up going wrong that night It He just had an Incredible chemistry with Brett And we've seen Brett do this wow. with some guys But all three of their matches Were awesome I mean this is the best that you will ever see From, from Kevin Nash From Diesel in any of his yeah. iterations We don't see him do any better when he goes to WCW We see him a couple times Really good with Brett We saw the match with Razor But he was nowhere near as good himself That was a lot of bells and whistles at SummerSlam 94 They had Sean and Walter Payton And everyone involved Razor sort of carried that match a little bit more This one, Brett carried But Diesel, he pulled his weight He was good He he sold very well The transition to the heel at the end Was excellent And it was quick It was This was great It was a great ending to a great show I mean this yeah. was one of these hidden gem shows This is why I love Doing what we've been doing over the last 6-7 months Is because we find these matches We find some of these superstars That you know, you only remember what you sort of remember as a kid 20 years ago and we 30 years ago. We've all gone back and watched these matches, you know, and some of these shows here and there. But when you sit down and sort of focus and you're taking some notes and you're watching things here and there, so many different things jump out at you. And, man, I, I really, really liked this show, DZ. So a big applause to you on this one. I think I think just to, to finish it out, so, you know, when we talked all about the big the big uh, uh, spot at the the Spanish announce table, what ends up happening to finish? Brett gets tossed back in the ring, and Diesel is signaling for the jackknife. He's got the major major advantage here on on, uh, on Brett. He sets Brett up. Brett can't even stand up. Jr. says, "Why doesn't he just pin him?" Diesel pulls Brett back up one more time for the jackknife, and Brett was playing possum. He rolls him up for the win. Diesel snaps and we mentioned he goes crazy On all the refs he he uh, Jackknifes Brett a few times and I mean that uh that sets Up heel diesel and Brett's the champ for a while and Brett has a nice little Run until Wrestlemania in 96 when him and Sean have the Iron Man match So Man there's just not a lot of bad on the show Top to bottom the only thing that was You know maybe was just Not great ring quality was the gold Dust stuff everything else I was Exceeded my expectations or was Was very was solid To to above average And I'm pretty pumped for uh, For our next show fellas Because we're gonna stick with The SummerSlam theme I think this is one of the best SummerSlams Ever it is 2001 We're right in the middle of the Invasion for SummerSlam 2001 And when you look down the Up and down this card we've got Edge Lance Storm to start we got a fun Dudley's 
with the uh, test versus the APA and Spike Dudley. We got X Pac Tajiri. We got a Jericho Rhino match that is really fun with Stephanie McMahon involved. We've got RVD Jeff Hardy in a ladder match. We got the Brothers of Destruction versus uh, DDP and Canyon. We got Kurt Angle Stone Cold and then the Rock Booker T. I think this is, you know, generally thought of as one of the, the top five Summer Slams when you go top to bottom. The invasion overall didn't really work. But there were a lot of big highlights and really good shows along the way, and this is one of them. So, uh, DZ, you had a great pick in 95. We're going to go fast forward uh, about five and a half, six years forward to 2001 SummerSlam. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, that's, I remember the show well. Uh, it's got a lot of big guys. You know, Edge is not Edge yet, but he has a good match to kick it off, I remember. Uh, obviously, you got a lot of firepower on the show as well with, uh, you know, with Angle, and, and you got that championship, you know, obviously Stone Cold. Uh, the Rock, you got a big championship match at the end. Booker T, it's it's a good show. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a complete. It's going to be interesting to, to note how it's like such a completely different time from you know watching this show that we mm-hmm. just watched going five and a half years, you know, down the line. But uh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a good match. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be a good one to talk about. There's a lot of fun stuff in that show. Yeah, I'm looking at the card right now, and honestly, I hadn't remembered how good and how loaded this show was, Mm -hmm. probably because the overall invasion angle had so many shortcomings and was booked incredibly poorly from start to finish. But there are some gems here, and just looking at this this match list, I mean, the, the match with Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam, I remember that being tremendous. You have to understand Rock and Booker T is always going to be good. Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, that's always going to be good. Jericho and Steph had so much chemistry back and forth together. They were hilarious, too. And she she was funny then. I know people, a lot of people give Stephanie, she gets a bad rap for a lot of things. And, and some of them deserve it. But in this stuff, she she was always willing to be the butt of any joke. Yep, that's for sure. The segment with Jericho and Rock going back and forth with the ad-libbing <laughs> on a couple of WCW and ECW guys in the ring with Stephanie involved, that's an all-timer right there. Yeah. So this yeah, I was excited. It was it was this one I was looking at a couple others, but I'm I'm glad we picked this one and you just mentioned uh, all the Spinneroonies too, so we'll we'll get a, a Booker T and this was I loved when when Booker T and The Rock had that first interaction on SmackDown, and he came out, and The Rock says, "Who in the blue hell are you?" And Booker just snapped, and and then it was on. So I, I love this time period. Angle's really hot. We got uh, just so many talented guys on here. So looking forward to talking some SummerSlam 2001 with you fellas next week. And man, it's crazy. We're almost getting into uh, into September now. Baseball halfway through the season We're in the middle of the basketball playoffs We'll keep our fingers crossed I know there's some some not great stuff going on Around Churchill Downs but we're like a week and a half Away from the Kentucky Derby The the first Saturday in September Which is going to be strange Just a crazy time of the year And there's a ton of sports going on right now It's like every time we check back in It feels like a ton of, has surpassed So DZ what's coming up for you uh, In the next few days and looking forward to this weekend well, we're right in the middle of back-to-back pay-per-views in, in back-to-back weeks, yeah. probably for the first time in WWE history. history. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the show Sunday night. Um, I did too. I thought I thought it was solid. Uh, there was a couple of things that I didn't like, and maybe at some point we'll we'll, we'll dive into more details. But overall, I thought it was good. Uh, I, I'll leave it with the one thing that bothers me, and this is a trend of WWE today. 
like the whole Roman Reigns thing, you know, you kind of knew that when the Fiend came back in the picture that that was a sign that Roman was going to be coming back at some point. But now the very next night, they announce a triple threat match between Roman, the Fiend and Strowman. Could you make it any more obvious that the only reason that Strowman is in that match is to take the pin from the Fiend to separate out Roman and the Fiend going forward to something bigger later on? There's no way that Roman's winning the belt after six days. And you could tell that by doing... So, I mean, can you be any more obvious? Yeah, it just... And, or just give him nuts. give Roman a big win, make him make it be a number one contenders match or something like that. Roman's back. Yeah. He's got to he's got to get by you know whoever anyone any any like mid cardish he you know anyway Andrade I don't know anybody you know what I mean like he's got to get by so and so to get. I agree with you that that it just it's very we talked about telegraphing. They they've been doing this way too often the last couple of years, like sort of treating us dumb, like slapping yeah. us over the face as fans. Like we instead of getting rewarded with little Easter eggs and little nuggets from watching shows and paying attention for years and being like loyal customers, they kind of give us the middle finger sometimes and say, "Oh, they're not going to even remember what happened. We're just going to kind of sort of start over again right here." Right. Gee, yeah. what else does that sound like that we're all intimately involved? In? <laughs> 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 it, it, it does. We we're like we're gluttons for punishment. Is really what what it a is. A little boys. bit. Uh, yeah. The one thing that I'll add to that really quickly, and I mentioned this when the show happened and when Roman ran in. I hated the Wyatt Strowman match. Absolutely, positively hated it. And I liked a lot of other things on the SummerSlam show. It was a good show, but that match was god awful. Roman runs in, and he starts cutting the promo on the Fiend. And my first response is, oh, my God, they made Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman both incredibly unlikable so that Roman's return would be cheered. <laughs> We've seen this movie before, guys. It just didn't it have to happen. It yeah. doesn't work. And you know what? I want it to work because Roman Reigns' return is what the main event scene needed right now because – what you have is a bunch of guys who have all been cooped up in Florida wrestling the same people for four months on end, and you needed somebody with some star power to come in and shake things up. Enter Roman Reigns. I sincerely hope this works, but the more I'm thinking about it, we had to sit through the Wyatt Strowman storyline, which got neither guy over made Strowman look like a jerk when he's supposed to be the baby face, I think. <laughs> and now you've got Roman Reigns coming back to try to reclaim what's his. And the only guy that looks good coming out of SummerSlam, one of the three biggest pay-per-views of the year, is a guy that wasn't on the card. Yeah, and, and I will say, just reading in, in what I, I saw and some of the ratings and stuff, it seems like on, on Monday Night Raw... Yeah, they got they got I think the best ratings they've got since April. Even though it was up against the the RNC the convention and also up against the a Laker playoff game. So, you know what I I understand what you're saying, Andrew. I don't know if this is it's one of those things where it's like it doesn't do Roman a lot of good when they do this either. Like when you put him into a hotter feud with with someone hot, but it's when you make these guys kind of sort seem meaningless right away, it doesn't do Roman a whole lot of good. I mean, I would yeah. love to see Roman 
I can understand why they injected him in here, but how much fun, more fun would have been Roman injected into just kind of walking out after a clean McIntyre Orton match? Orton wins, and Roman comes out and says, "I'm taking that title from you." Yeah. You know, well, something, yeah. something and, like and, that. And a couple, a couple of things. Number one, Roman has always been jacked. Roman is a monster right mm-hmm. now. He's like in we, phenomenal we saw, shape. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's insane the shape that he's in. When's he ever been able to do what he just did? Because he's never had the time off and been healthy. Right. Normally, if you're off, you got an injury or he's dealing with the leukemia, you know, the stuff that he's had to deal with. He was just healthy and at home able to just work out every day for a four or five month period for the probably the first time in a decade. Clearly, clearly The Rock told him, hey, man, you want to make it in Hollywood? You got to get yourself some veneers. So Roman certainly went ahead and <laughs> did that. Uh, you know, you know that that's what about that. That's entirely about Hollywood down the road. There's no question about that. Um, the only the only hope that I have for it, and, and this is coming from from a guy who actually who really likes Roman a lot. The the shirt wreck everything and leave. They do leave you with some question as what is this character going to be? Is this going to be the same Roman Reigns trying to get over as a babyface? Or is this guy going to show up and just say, screw everybody. I'm just going to rip through everyone. I'm not Mr. Nice Guy. I'm not playing to the fans. And maybe he's kind of like a, like an actual in-betweener, not just because he gets cheered and booed, but that's actually how his character is going to be built. I, I don't know. I have no clue. The wreck everything and leave could mean a couple of different things. We have no idea what's going on with Retribution because somehow, some way, they did not show up at SummerSlam at all. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of hanging out there too. But at least it does leave some doubt in your mind. But if they're really trying to make the other two look really bad to push babyface Roman and they think that this is going to work, even though they're 0 for 14 trying that, you know, <laughs> God, God help them. The one I will say one positive thing though, tremendous job with the virtual fan thing i agree uh, yeah i mean look you know you're, we're not going to get into some of the dumbass stuff and some people you know taking advantage of that situation and putting some stuff on their cameras that they shouldn't put for the overall aesthetics of of the show and the feel of it all it feels like there's people there mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a cool it's a cool visual it doesn't look stupid by any stretch of the imagination that tied in with the piped-in noise and the way that the that the uh, the wrestlers and, and and the commentators are playing off it. And for me, it's added a hell of a lot to to the program from where we were just a couple of weeks ago. I would agree. And, and Andrew, you know, that'll be kind of our, our some of our last thoughts on this Thunderdome stuff. I thought it WWE does a really good job. We've talked about video packaging, video stuff, production. When they have a little bit of time to work with something, I think they still have a couple kinks they have to work out. Sometimes some of the close-up shots maybe they could do without, you know, we see someone sort of just sitting on their computer like it, blankly. It it's it looks a little weird, but when they've got that wide shot and we're watching a lot of the match and it just really does look like you got sort of a lot of faces in the background, you, it it feels is close to a big deal as possible And with the lasers, with the pyro With the, the glitz and the glamour It's a completely different feel than the uh, the poor Performance center was for the last few months Completely agree with that Now I've got a friend that works for the WWE Network and I texted Him asking, okay How much is the person That's monitoring all these feeds Making sure that all the stuff They're seeing is appropriate getting paid And <laughs> 
the response I got indicated that question was not appreciated. Yeah. So having <laughs> said that, again, one of the things that I think people need to remember, and this applies not just to this situation, to every situation that the pandemic is touching, there are no good options. Mm -hmm. This is a case where everybody's trying to make the best out of a bad situation. As the TV geek, my big thing is because there's a lag in the connections between what happens in the ring versus what people are able to react to. Sometimes the sound is about three or four seconds mm -hmm. late. There's a pin so, and you get the reaction yeah. a few seconds later. Or, but yep. there's, there's no way to mitigate that. There's always no, because going then, to be some latency. It's always going to be there. They're doing the very best that they can. And it's easy to rag on WWE for the things that we think they do wrong. And trust us, that's not a short list. In this instance, I think they took a big step forward. Yep, and some places are doing it. WWE is trying to make it as close to the real going to a show experience as possible. Because a lot of these places that are letting you do like a virtual experience, some of them what they're doing is you get like a little clip of you. And then that's the clip of you that sits in there because they don't want to pay. Just like you said, they don't want to have a full staff of people having to watch every box to make sure somebody's not doing something lewd or crazy. But WWF wants that reaction from you. They're, they're trying, they're begging people and not begging, but they're telling them, Hey, the more you react, the more you cheer, we're going to put you up front and center. We're going to keep you up on the screen all the time. So give us cheers, give us reactions, give us a, you know, your WWE merch, wear your shirts, and then we'll, we'll give you more airtime, which is cool. I mean, that gives the, the people the opportunity to, uh, to feel like they're at least a part of the show. So yeah, I think a big step forward the last week, and it seems like the ratings are starting to feel in the same way. I think if you're just flipping through the channels randomly too, and you see it on with the lights and the lasers and the pyro again, it, it feels more big deal than when you were just watching it a few weeks ago at the Performance Center. So ho hopefully some more good to come with uh, WWF payback or WWE payback coming up this week. Fellas, it was a, a blast talking about a very nice hidden gem of a show. Look forward to talking SummerSlam 2001 with the both of you next week. Darren, let us know where we can follow you, and then Andrew, close us out. Sure thing. Uh, Twitter at the track 7 uh, we'll do some wrestling stuff heading into payback this coming week. And then obviously uh, heading into both fantasy football season. Uh, I, I just picked up the number one pick in my keeper league. Nice. So excited. Nice. We've got a number one pick. I haven't had that opportunity in quite some time. So I'm looking forward to that. And obviously leading into the uh, Kentucky Derby as these workouts are really going to start to pick up and we get this, you know, start to really dive into those contenders and, and pick apart the, you know, what is always the greatest two minutes in sports. So a lot to look forward to in the next couple of weeks, and I'll be uh, hot and heavy on Twitter talking all about it. So we're coming up on the quarter poll at Saratoga, believe it or not. Wednesday's card is day 30 of the 40-day meet. I know it seems like it just started. It's been an absolute blur. Uh, I'll be on Twitter at, at Andrew Champagne with all of my stuff. You can read my selections, analysis, bankroll plays in the pink sheet if you're in Saratoga. Also at andrewchampagne.com. I am also excited about fantasy football season. I am the reigning, defending, undisputed champion of my league that uh, I'm in with a bunch of people from a prior workplace. Uh, it's a four-keeper league, and somehow these fools have let me have Patrick Mahomes and Saquon Barkley, so oh, wow. the title runs through me, and they know it. 
and I know there's at least one person in the league that is really, really pissed off about it. <laughs> That's a different story for a different time. Yeah. But that draft is next Thursday. I just picked up one of those fantasy football magazines at the store today. So I'm going to be you know, diving into that, diving on a Roto World. Whole bunch of really fun stuff happening here. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's just a lot going on. And uh, hopefully you can uh, come along for the ride with me. Next week, it'll be SummerSlam 2001. Big thanks to Darren Zocali and to Andrew Champagne for joining us here each and every week. Yeah, hear all the information where you can follow along uh, with everything they're doing on social media. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back with more on That's What G Said. And a big thank you to Andrew and to Darren. So those of you who are following along up next, we're going to be talking a... SummerSlam 2001 So go uh, go flip that on in The WWE Network and you can watch And then listen in when we discuss next week Next week we'll have uh, Hard Knocks We'll recap everything going on In the NBA, in baseball And we'll start doing some NFL previews For fantasy football Previewing some of the teams, divisions, all the news Everything coming out of the NFL Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Share the show around with your friends Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. Good luck with everything. We close it out with Joey Cleveland.